Getting into real estate was exciting um, and it was fun and I loved it and I still do, but it was a lot of burning the candle at both ends. You know, you see these people and you're like, oh my God, I wanna be that. And you're like, what you don't see is that 20 year grind in the background. A lot of weekends, a lot of nights until you're able to bring in another lead manager, build the process, create the system with the right people in the right seats at the right time. It's just a 10X return. Don't hire for right now, hire for the right person. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Amanda Dean with Sharper Business Solutions. And Amanda flew in from Jacksonville, Florida to talk about how she's leveraged her experience doing thousands of real estate transactions to help other business owners get out of their business. And just as a quick side note, Amanda also coaches my real estate team. So when I asked her to come out here, I can, I can assure you, thoroughly vetted. Now, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years, if you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value out of today's show, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. You ready? Ready. All right. So first question is, what was your life like right before you got into real estate? Uh, so I was in, it's funny cause I was in school in college. I wanted to be a nurse. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I was bartending prior to that and obviously didn't want to be bartending my whole life. Right. Uh, so, uh, I was going to college was in the, uh, my daughter was in a wreck. And so just complicated things. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna get a job for a minute. You know, she was, my oldest was like two or three. I was like, and we'll, I'll revisit school later. So I, I did that, and uh, Dan had put an ad in a bargain browser in the newspaper. This is how long ago it was, <laughs> right? Back when newspapers were our biggest source. Mm -hmm. um, he put an ad in a newspaper looking for uh, an admin assistant. Um, and so I kind of was able to get that. It was so funny when he interviewed me. I told him, I said, I'm going back to school. Mm. I want you to know this is not <laughs> what I plan to do, yeah. right? I could be a resource for you. You could be a resource for me. But, you know, I want to be a nurse. And he would just he would joke sometimes, like, why do you want to be a nurse? I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, needless to say, once I got into real estate, I loved it. I never looked back. Mm -hmm. uh, and occasionally, even five, 10 years later, he would ask me, he's like, do you ever regret not going back? And I'm like, no, I, yeah. I, I never looked back, but that was where I was. But yeah, bartending, I just, you know, didn't want to do that forever. So your first foray into real estate was an administrative assistant. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And you were saying you were going to school for mm -hmm. nursing. Uh, and then you were actually a bartender. Yes, I used to bartend at nights, uh, married, three kids, you know, trying to go to college at the same time. Mm -hmm. It just, uh, I did anything that I could do to just push forward. Well, I asked this question because in the conversation you and I have had is you don't feel comfortable being in front on stage, mm -hmm. right? Like I actually had to beg you to come onto this show. <laughs> so how does a person who is extremely introverted, or not extremely introverted, but just wants to be behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. find themselves in a position where they're bartending? I guess it just came naturally. Like, I was good at it. I mm -hmm. realized how much money I could make. And then I like to win. I have a high A. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't a thing that I always asked people, what you make tonight? what you make tonight? And so for me, it was you more You were always about, asking other people? What I was always asking other people. Because I really want to know is, did I do better or did I do worse? Right? Right. Um, so I kind of treated it like a game a little bit. And I was really mm -hmm. good at it. And I, I made a ton of money at it. Um, it was nothing to make three four hundred dollars a day mm -hmm. um but it's a, it's a tough gig when you're married with three kids too. right this is nashville this is nashville and nashville back then like right now nashville is uh, from what i understand is a great 
bachelorette party destination. Yeah, I don't know when we became the bachelorette capital of the world, but we are. Right. So, like, is it crazier now with the bars than it was back then? Probably. Uh, It's so funny. Jeremy and I actually both found out, realized later, we both bartended at uh, Opry, Opryland Hotel in Mm -hmm. Nashville. Um, I think that's a big name. It is. It is. Uh, bigger clientele, you knew what the occupancy, I mean, I knew what KPIs were even then, I didn't even know what they were. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly what the occupancy rate is, I knew which convention was in town, I knew how much money I was going to make, what I had to do. Um, You're projecting revenue. I was, absolutely. I knew. Uh, I knew which groups tipped the best, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole nine yards. And so Jeremy and I probably crossed paths at some point, because mm-hmm. uh, we were both bartenders there at around the same time frame. But there were multiple different bars inside there. So it was a different clientele. I don't know mm-hmm. that I could have handled the downtown scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And you said that your daughter was in a wreck, you said? Yes. So that kind of was the changing. Um, it, it changed a lot. So we were in a, a head-on collision when she was young. And it was just, I won't get into the details, but she actually had a punctured lung. And they ended up sending her to Vanderbilt Hospital, which is a big hospital. And it, you know, she's on a backboard and they have her down and this is for days. And, and she literally, her lung is filling up with blood. And so her doctor is an actual surgical doctor and they're just waiting to see if they have to go in here and, and do surgery at any given time. So it was mm-hmm. the scariest moment in the world for me. Um, I didn't even get to see a doctor myself. I was like, I don't, until I know she's safe, I'm not doing anything else. It was, it was, it was a very impactful moment in my life for sure. Um, but after that, so because of she had three broken ribs. Um, she was three and I had to keep her steel. She couldn't jump. She couldn't play. I mean, it was a lot till her ribs healed up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a lot. And then I'd, I'd try to go back to school even after the wreck. I think I went to a couple classes and was trying to get back into it. And she got pneumonia and ended up back in the hospital. And it was just one of those moments, that a, moments as a parent that I was just like, okay, I, I just, I don't know if it's a sign, but I just, I got to step back right now. I'm trying to work nights. I'm trying to go to school. I'm trying to take care of my three-year-old who's, you know, got a lot going on. I was like, I just need to get it. I just need to get a regular job. Yeah. So Dan is Dan Lane. Yes. With, I think everyone knows, if you're from Nashville, you might know the jingle. What is it? Uh, 299 cash. <laughs> Sell your house the easy way. Right. Yes. So you start off as an administrative assistant. Mm-hmm. What were your responsibilities when you started? Uh, it's basically what we consider lead management today, right? Uh, okay. It was lead management, it was TC, um, you know, it's kind of, it was everything that it needed, he needed it to be, mm-hmm. right? Um, he would just sign the contracts, get the deals, um, and I kind of took care of everything else. Um, and so it, it just kind of grew from that. Was it more or less like some of these organizations we see right now, like they just started like two years in? Mm-hmm. They've got leads coming in, but it's chaotic. Is it that was that the kind it of wasn't environment? Wasn't necessarily chaotic. You know, he's so uh, intentional about everything he does, but he just realized he couldn't do it all anymore, mm-hmm. and so he he really needed that second hand. Um, and I remember when we started out, our goal was twenty deals a year, mm-hmm. right? That was the goal. That was the goal was twenty deals a year. So sometimes we look back now. Remember when it was fifty? You know, we mm-hmm. were like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do fifty deals a year, right? And then it was a hundred, and then it was two fifty. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. So at this time, was it you and Dan, or were there other people there as well? So it was just me and Dan for a while. Jeremy joined the team, uh, I think, a few years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, from there, it kind of snowballed. We eventually ended up hiring some lead managers. We had a lot of organic growth, where everybody yeah. today is kind of like, oh, you need this, this, and this. We didn't know what we didn't know. Right. Right. So it was just kind of like when I was at capacity and, you know, I was doing books and doing the TC and, 
answering the phone and, you know, Jeremy started running appointments and he would handle construction. Yeah. And so it was a lot of organic growth and we kind of never hired until the point where we just couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't do a particular role anymore. Uh, when did you start working for Dan? Uh, 2005. Okay. Uh, my youngest, oh, uh, was a baby too. And she was six months old. Okay. So, and I'm asking this question because I didn't know this part where you were there from not ground zero because mm -hmm. Dan's ground zero, but mm -hmm. like right after that, because like I come in a collective genius. It's been, uh, I guess in, see, in three months, it'll be four years. Wow. I'll be in CG. Right. And when I showed up, I was like, Oh, that's Amanda Dean. That's Jeremy. Right. And something I've said to you before, you always laugh. It's like, you're the only person I know in CG who's always like first and last name. <laughs> right. Like we don't say that's Jeremy Fish. That's just Jeremy. Right. That's right. Dan. That's Ren. That's Eric. It's always, it's Amanda Dean. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Maybe it's a Southern thing. I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, cause I'm, so again, when I, when I first came, I was like, oh, that's them. Right. And so it's, again, I didn't know that you started from the beginning. So you guys just got the capacity mm -hmm. and then figure it out, hit capacity again, mm -hmm. figure it out. It was again. a lot of two <laughs> steps forward, three steps back. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's how, I mean, that's how most companies grow. And, you know, um, I would always take on a seat and want to do everything until I couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I did uh, lead management, the books, finance, dispositions. I thought I wanted to be in sales until I realized I don't like people that much. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> uh, but I did a lot with, uh, with acquisitions and operations, and I was the IT, and, and you just – Kind of organically, wherever uh, mm -hmm. I did property management, I was a property manager for years and years and years. Um, you know, I, I helped with uh, renovating properties and doing property. Pro so it was just kind of like I love variety anyway. So mm -hmm. like I'm a lifelong. I'm like I I can do it. I can do it um, until I was like I can't do this anymore. All right. So you started lead manager. So your first responsibilities is scheduling appointments mm -hmm. and transaction coordinating. Mm -hmm. And then at some point. We figure out there's too much to do, and you bring in Jeremy? Yeah, Dan actually brought in Jeremy uh, for, I think, construction. I'm pretty sure what it was, and realized real quickly, if anybody's ever met uh, Fish, you know how charismatic, how amazing he is, um, that he could do good at sales, right? right? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> crazy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think he was doing both, and I think Dan was just kind of burnt out at the time at meeting mm -hmm sellers at home and, and doing that part of it. So he didn't get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So uh, it just kind of, I think Jeremy did construction and uh, kind of acquisitions. And mm -hmm. I was kind of doing the TC and the dispositions and the lead management. Like I said, I remember the push when we brought in EOS was like, we can do 50 deals a year. And we're like, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, no, we did. And we ran that way for a couple of years. They're yeah. pretty lean. When did you guys bring in EOS? It's been it's been a long time ago. I want to say 2014, 2015. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. And so before 14, did you have any outside consultants? Mm -mm. No, I think EOS was our first one. Dan actually, I'm pretty sure he worked with the um, is it strategic coach? Mm -hmm. Strategic coach. He was really good at uh, networking and and learning. And that was one of the things me and him and Jeremy always had in common were lifelong learners. Yeah. Right really absorbing everything we could find. And he was so great about sharing it. I was mm -hmm. like, how'd you get there? I was like, he always poured everything into us. Um, so we, we had some masterminds that we were a part of, you know, we did the Ron Legrand, we did the strategic, we did all of that stuff, but EOS right. was the first like, okay, 
your operating, like you don't, you need an operating system. What does that look like? Everything right. else is all about sales, how to close deals, how to do more. Mm -hmm. That was the first one was like, that's great. But what does the back office look like? Right. So you guys had not done 50 deals yet when you guys brought in EOS. I honestly, it's been so long. But was there like a nine day difference after EOS? It did change the dynamic. I feel like we were all, we're all high A. So we're all like, we're going this way. We're going this way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'd kind of be on the same page, but we would have different plans on like how we would do it. And so the concept of like the visionary versus the integrator and what does that look like and documenting our processes because we wanted to hire people. We're like, well, who's going to train them? Right. <laughs> yeah. What is that going to look like? All the things that most entrepreneurs still go through mm -hmm. today. Right. Um, which was kind of messy. So EOS really helped us kind of clarify some roles a little bit. So it really helped us eliminate a lot of the back and forth right. that we were running into. Did you guys then, after EOS, have clearer roles and responsibilities? We did. We did. We got really better about this is your wheelhouse, this mm -hmm. is mine. But we were always really good at collaborating together. It's just, you know, you have two people that are that are strong-willed and one goes one way and one goes the other. Mm -hmm. I always joke and tell the story that uh, Dan and I sold the same house one time because <laughs> we, we just did whatever needed to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I got a buyer and I, I locked it up and uh, I walk into his office and he's like, hey, I just sold this house for, I can't even remember the amount. It was X amount. And I was like, well, I just sold it for more for here. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like 10 or, or 20 grand more. And he's like, so he had to call his buyer back mm -hmm. and be like, I had already sold the house. And he's like, going forward, I'm out. Just sell the houses. Yeah. I'm not going to do it anymore. So that actually happened to me and Jaden last year. Really? <laughs> yeah. Was, um, I didn't know he was marketing it, right? I didn't know he had posted an investor list, but I was like, all right, we need revenue. Yep. I'm just going to hit my database. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to call three people and one of them buys it. Okay, good. We can go focus on getting the next yeah. deal. And uh, I was like, yeah, Jaden, I sold it. He's like, I was literally negotiating with someone else mm -hmm. at a much higher price. <laughs> Damn it. Did you back out of yours? We didn't because this is the people, this is my database, right? Because, oh. you know, like right when, when we went through that shift last year, we got real skinny, mm -hmm. real lean. It's like, well, Steve has to do some work too. And so I did at the cost of some revenue, apparently, but, you know, we did what we have to do. Yeah, I will say Dan, Dan supported me, and, and, but mine was inked up, and I think he just had a verbal at that point. Yeah. So it was, it was a good point for him to be like, like, hey, sorry. Oh, if he had got it inked, it would be a different story. Yeah. Right? But it hadn't been inked. He was like, hey, look, I already sold it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, mine was also verbal. Yes. So, um, all right. So you get EOS. You have clear uh, roles. What is the evolution that you guys, what were the biggest challenges, I guess, going from 20 to 50 and then 50 to 100 and then 100 to 250? A lot of pain points. Um, you know, it was a lot of good, but I feel like from 20 to 50 was a lot of brute force, right? It was a lot of wearing a lot of hats. Um, you know, Jeremy and I were both kind of, you know, workaholics anyway, um, and Dan too. And, you know, I, I just had to standing deal where I worked every Saturday. I mean, it was nothing. My kids didn't expect me to be at home. It was the day I got the most done. I mean, it was nothing for me to be at the office at 6 a.m. on a Saturday and I would stay there all day um, and just do whatever needed to happen. So mm -hmm. it was it was a lot of brute force. It was a lot of long hours um, until we were able to bring in another uh, lead manager, which kind of helped a little bit. And then we brought in somebody else to kind of help with the phones a little bit. And I mean, we kind of ran there. I think construction was our next biggest thing. We wanted to start maximizing. And all through this, we also had what? A, a recession, mm -hmm. right? The crash. Yeah. 
in, in 08. That yeah. was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, but Dan was really smart and we really pivoted um, and we, we really analyzed. We did some surrounding markets. We stayed safer. We stayed lean. Um, and we just kept our heads down and, and grinded. We weren't going for volume. We were just going for, you know, quality of the deals, less mm-hmm. deals. Um, so we really, we came out of that uh, in a really good spot, even financially um, and with leadership wise too, as well. We had, had learned and we had grown and learned some things. So there was a lot of challenges along the way, mainly the ones of like, who's doing what, when, mm-hmm. right? Like we talk about processes and procedures and, and roles and clarity, and we didn't have all that. It was just like, we just kind of all just did whatever needed to happen. We stepped on each other's toes frequently, mm-hmm. to say the least. Um, so we started getting better about that. We started working with EOS and, and doing the org chart and doing the core values. And, you know, I'm sure, Dan, I think he's told a story before. But when we uh, had to do the core values, we were trying to set up, we were trying to see what that looked like. Uh, I think we were working with Frank Curtin at the time. And he came in. He's like, we're going to exercise. And we're like, no, we'll Google it later. We'll pick five, right? <laughs> Southwest has some great stuff. We'll look and see what they got. Uh, and that was kind of our mindset. Like, no, nah, move on. And he's like, no. Uh, and so we go through this exercise. And it takes like all day, right? We have to write these words that we think about each other mm-hmm. and uh, all this other stuff. And we're looking for con- It was a great exercise. I'm glad we did it. It really flushed out our core values. Yeah. And that was kind of game changer for us as growth because we now knew how to hire and, you know, had that concept like hire and fire by them. We knew people weren't a fit sometimes. Sometimes they were, but we really didn't know what that was. It was your gut. Right. It's like, uh, kind of feel like he's okay, maybe. <laughs> um, and we were really bad at hiring. Uh, and so we were gun shy, which is what a lot of entrepreneurs I work with today, they're like, well, I tried that before. I'm like, so you had one bad hire. Now you're like out. You don't mm. need that role. Yeah. I was like, that one bad experience, you know, you probably shouldn't let it determine how you grow your business. Yeah. Um, but yes, we did a lot of that. We we're a lot of stepping on toes. So we did that exercise. It really helped us kind of hone in on what we were looking for, what we were trying to do. EOS was game changer because we always just did whatever needed to happen. We didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, that was it. It was kind of like, you always know, joke until then. It's like, we're like, well, until we both decided we don't want to do this anymore, let's just run with it. And, mm-hmm. and didn't realize we had, you know, and even with Jeremy, Jeremy's such an immense part of that. Um, growing this business and it's like, we well, can't really, you can't really turn off the faucet. At this so you point. were in the weeds hundred percent of the time. Oh my gosh. You were never on the business. You were, it was hundred percent in the business grind all day, every day. We just never knew what we were trying to accomplish either. That was a big thing. And, and I work with a lot of teams like yourself on, on targets and, and setting goals and we didn't have those. So mm-hmm. that was a big thing for us. And we we're like, okay, this is what we're trying to get to. This is what we're trying to do this year. Here's a plan. It kind of, it really gave a structure. We knew what winning looked like and it, it was less of the wild, wild west. Yeah. So you guys had clarity after that. Mm-hmm. So what were the biggest pain points going from 50 to 100? People. Hiring. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably always been one of our biggest struggles um, in documenting processes and procedures. Obviously, everybody loves that part of the business, right? <laughs> yeah. Process is such a sexy word. Yeah. I feel like- for the Mavericks and captains, for sure. Yes. Um, but it, it was hiring. Hiring was a, a big struggle for us, getting the right people, how to create roles. We had to get really good at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, really uh, looked for additional education. I don't know if you've done top grading. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of game changer for us. You know, the the methodology around hiring A players, mm-hmm. um, just not hiring people because we met them for thirty minutes. And we're like, we, we think they'll be a good, they'll do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've had the honor, right, getting to work with your team, uh, yeah. uh, working with Craig, working with Samantha, mm-hmm. like uh, I think Laura, right, yeah. on the dispo side, like. Qual- high caliber, high quality people. So obviously you guys are doing something right. 
Yeah. So talk about top grading. So for those that are un unfamiliar with top grading, what is top grading? So top grading is more of a, a hiring methodology uh, about finding A players, right? It's not about just hiring. It's, I always tell people like, don't hire for right now, hire for the right person. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people are like, but I need somebody right now. I'm like, but, you know, what a quality. So it's really about slowing down. It doesn't mean you're skipping steps in the process, but you are really, um, you're really digging through somebody's resume. You're, you're taking a lot of different data sets and you're seeing if they match up with the person that you're interviewing. Um, there's a lot of great uh, feedback on what questions to ask and how and what A players will say and what C players will say. And so it really helps you um, identify the A players. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that was just following the book. Was there a consultant you brought in? No, that was just the book. Of course, we tried everything. Recruiters. We did in-house recruiting. Mm -hmm. I used, uh, one of the hats that I wore was the recruiting manager for mm -hmm. a while. Um, so we've, we've worked with all kinds, um, and we just realized that it didn't matter where they came from. We were really bad at hiring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were as leaders, we were really yeah. bad at hiring. So once we had the, the core values kind of established and we kind of knew where we were going, then it was easier to identify, okay, who are the right people we need in the right seats. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and we never had this like, oh, we want to grow 50% or we want to do a hundred, 250 deals. At a certain point, it was just like we were just doing this to to get better about what we were doing. We wanted to all be, we wanted to work together. We wanted to win together as a team. Um, so it it was game changer for us. And you're talking about again going back to growing organically. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't forced scaling. Right. That was the one thing I see a ton with a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of teams, and that was one thing I feel like we did really well is mm -hmm. we were always pushing each other and pushing the boundaries, but. We weren't trying to just be the the biggest and baddest and the yeah. greatest. Scaling the scale. Correct. Yeah. So talk about that because you get to work with a lot of people. What are you seeing where people are pushing uh, so hard to scale? I feel like we're in annual planning, right? Everybody's kind of going into mm -hmm. 2024. What are we trying to accomplish this year? And it's actually why you're here. You're yes. doing our quarterly for our wholesale team tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and it, everybody's like, okay, well, we can do, and they'll just pick a number, you know, be like, we can do 200 deals this year. I'm like, okay, cool. What'd you do last year? 60. Okay. So how are we getting from 60 to 200? Well, we know we can do it. Okay. But why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like we can. So-and-so does it. And that's one of the dangers of masterminds. Love them, right? Mm -hmm. But you go there and so-and-so is doing 300 deals. I should be able to do 300 deals. And they, I don't know if it's a prestige thing or just a, you know, it's just the apples to compare, but. Well, is that what you were talking about earlier? Like, you know, what'd you get tipped tonight? Like yeah. for me, it was in school. Yeah. What'd you get in that test? Yes. Right, what'd you, oh, okay. Right. And if yeah. I did better, I just went tell them what I got. So there's always a contest. Everything's a contest. Yeah. So yeah, so going 60 to 100 or 60 to 200. And that was me, the less mature mm -hmm. version of myself. Not to say that I am mature, just less mature. Uh, was we'd always like, oh, we did, uh, you know, 30 transactions, let's go to 60. Mm -hmm. Oh, we did 60 transactions, let's do 100. Mm -hmm. Did 100, let's do 200. I am every bit as guilty as that, right? So, like, how do you talk to someone out of doing that? It's not all talk them out of it. Uh, I'm here to support every team and what they mm -hmm. want to do. And I really want to dig in with them and then assess them. What does your resources look like? Mm -hmm. Right? I was with one specific team, and they wanted to double double their business over last year. And they're like, I've talked to the CFO and they think we can do this. So I was like, okay, well, what resource? So we looked at what resource they wanted last year and what they have this year. I said, you have no more additional resources than you had last year. Mm -hmm. And her team sitting there and they're looking at her and they're exhausted. 
they won big this year, but they were wore out. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we're on board, but not until we fill X, Y, and Z seats, right? Mm -hmm. um, so really trying to help them build a plan. It's like, I think you can do anything you want to do, but let's build a roadmap for what that looks like. Right. Otherwise, we just burn, we, we burn out our team, we burn out everybody around us, we burn out. Yeah, so fortunately, I haven't had to experience burnout, but <laughs> I have definitely burnt out my team. Uh, so Paul Sparks, you know, we do a whale club together, and that's one of the things, one of the realizations I had last year was that we set these quarterly agendas or commitments, mm -hmm. and then we hit them, but we don't hit them gracefully. <laughs> we hit them, and we're haggard, we're, we're like... We're stressed. Yes. And then what do we get? What's the reward for doing a good job? More. <laughs> more work, more scale, more responsibilities, mm -hmm. more objectives. And so, again, like last year was the first year. I was like, maybe instead of like try to conquer all these things, let's just focus on two things that we for sure want to conquer. Mm -hmm. And let's just operate at 70% of um, capacity, knowing that Steve will drop more fires along the way. Yes. Right? So instead of operating 100% capacity and then Steve dropping more stuff in your lap, let's operate at 70% capacity knowing that Steve will get you to red line. Well, and I feel like the quarterly planning sessions too, a lot of people come up and I'll see them, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there and be like, 10 commitments, right? And I'm like, well, what is your annual plan? Mm -hmm. It goes back to that. I always tell people like, the reason we do that, so every quarter we can revisit that. And so we're not stuck in the minutia of what's going on right now. What are our pain points? What are we trying to do? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think Austin McCurdy's the one that was telling me the story about, you know, like you think about NASCAR, right? Those cars are constantly running, but they pit stop intentionally. Mm -hmm. They don't wait till they run out of gas. So somebody <laughs> run out with a gas. Can, yeah. Right. They're very intentional about those pit stops. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're checking on the car, they're tuned, fine tuning everything. And then they're getting back on the road. And we kind of look at those quarterlies as the same way. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you're, you're running, but like, let's stop. And, Double check everything, make sure we're focused on the right things. And I find a lot of times teams are, again, whatever their biggest pain point is right now, but like, let's go back. What are we trying to accomplish this year? Right. And let's make sure that our, our commitments are geared towards the success of what that looks like mm -hmm. and not just reacting to whatever the pain point is in our life right now. Right. So going back to your journey. So 100, from 50 to 100, the biggest pain point is right. people. People. My understanding, so you tell me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that is just the last frontier. So what are the other pain points from going to 100 to 200 to 250? Marketing, leads, right? Mm -hmm. Then uh, it becomes, um, you know, kind of in the market shifts a little bit too. Yeah. So we're kind of mindful of that. Um, you know, we're blessed to be doing a lot of marketing channels. I mean, Dan's been doing TV for, you know, 10 years now. So we were we were blessed enough that we got in early on the inbound leads. We weren't doing mm -hmm. a lot of outbound stuff, but... Yeah, then it becomes uh, it becomes scale, it becomes construction, it becomes processes. Mm -hmm. The the procedures and the processes really from hundred to two hundred. How do we get multiple people doing the same thing the same way, right? How do we add it's in like that McDonald's redundancy? franchise? Right, like now we don't have one lead manager, we have four, mm -hmm. right? How do we make sure they're answering the phone, they're saying the same thing, they're putting it in the system the same way that you know the acquisitions reps are are saying the same thing? So. That's where it become a challenge was like getting the people hiring is always a challenge, but now it's like, okay, how, how do we build this out so that everybody knows what they're doing? Right. So how did you guys address that? It was painful. It was so painful. <laughs> I liken it to a root canal. <laughs> uh, and was sometimes he'd be like, we're awful. At, uh, you know, I would, I'm being generous when he's like, we suck at documenting stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, we document it. 
we just don't maintain it. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, this is how you do this. And then, you know, we'd look back six months and we're like, oh, yeah, we don't do that at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so realizing that people are like, oh, yeah, document processes, that's not, it's not a task. Mm-hmm. It's not something you do one time. Right. It's something that you have to maintain. And I keep wish it was up. something we only had to do I one know. time. That's why I was like, I documented everything. <laughs> I'm, it's irrelevant now. But mm-hmm. um, so it, it was trying to stay in that. It was, you know, in growth, it's a lot of when do you need to hire the next person? Mm-hmm. You know, you wait until somebody's over capacity or are you hiring somebody now before you know you're going to get there? You're projecting mm-hmm. these type of deals and these type of sales. And so it was just staying relevant. It was staying, you know, it was getting, making sure we were getting the leads, making sure we had repeatable processes, making sure everybody on the team, you know, was, was rowing the same way. We're going in the same direction. And I was challenging. Mm-hmm. Well, so updating the process. So first documenting mm-hmm. the process procedures. Document it. And then continually updating it. Right. And the last thing, particularly with salespeople, is how do we get them to follow it consistently? So how do you get your people to consistently follow the process and procedures? I feel like salespeople just get all, they're their own, right? I, I, <laughs> I tell people, I'm like, in every other area of the business, I'm like, here's the box. With salespeople, I'm like, here are the bumpers. Please just stay inside the bumpers, right? Um, they need grace and they need a little bit of, of wiggle room in that. Um, and, and to credit Jeremy, you know, we always pushed on, we got to make things as easy as possible for them. You mm-hmm. know, I was always focused on the seller and the customer. We were constantly like, you know, trying to make sure we didn't create process that were easy for us, but difficult for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would do the same for the salespeople. How do we make things as easy for them as possible? So mm-hmm. everything that they didn't like to do, it's like, can somebody else do it? Can there be a system to do it? Can it automate to do it? Um, so we were, Alerted to the point, it's like all you got to do is show up by the house. Like, wait, that's all you got to do. That's it. Right. I mean, you don't even have to turn in the paperwork. Just take a picture of it. <laughs> I mean, we make it as easy as possible. Yeah, that's um, compliance and salespeople don't go hand in hand. No, it doesn't even exist. Yeah, I actually was in a mastermind where Eddie Speed was talking on creative finance, mm-hmm. and he talked about the importance of compliance, right? Because you don't want to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Fair points. And I asked him, I was being sarcastic. I was like, can you say that word again? I didn't really know what that word was. And he kind of looked at me funny. He's like, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Following processes and procedures, not <laughs> a salesperson skill set. Correct. Yeah. But you want people to do what? You want salespeople to show up and be able to be good at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And their energy levels are different than a lot of other teams that you typically have in this industry. Um, and just making sure that things were as easy for them as possible. Not right. like, you know, crazy, but like, hey, like if you don't like doing CRM work, great. Somebody else can do it for mm-hmm. you, right? Talk to techs. Make it simple. Um, but we want to make sure that they're working in their genius zone mm-hmm. as much as possible. Yeah. So I still go on appointments. Mm-hmm. Right? I ask my team, you know, get me on the field, keep me fresh, whatever. And I don't go into Salesforce to log in the notes. I've heard. Yeah. I think it's been on the issues list a few times. It might have been. But what I do do is I actually go into uh, Google Chat. Mm -hmm. I just write down everything that I remember from the appointment, right? Like the last one, you know, hey, I know, I don't believe we have the wife's cell. So like I asked for a cell before I walked out Mm -hmm. in case it's an elderly couple, in case we need to reach her, right? And some other notes. All right. Here's the notes. You guys figure out what you guys do in Salesforce. But here's everything I remember from the appointment. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we're conveying that yeah. information, I feel like that's good. Like we always joke and say the talk to text button. Mm-hmm. When you're in your car on the way home, 
push the text and you can literally just like if I'm sitting across from mm-hmm. you, tell me everything I need to know right. and I'll get it updated for you. Right. Yes. Um, okay. So you guys do um, 250 transactions mm-hmm. and that is wholesale and flip. Yeah. So uh, pretty diverse. We, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of buy and holds, uh, rental property, so a property management um, and then, you know, wholesaling, um, fix and flips, a lot of creative deals, you know, especially you see the novations and, and just trying to be relevant mm-hmm. to what's out there. Um, but just kind of a little bit of everything, a lot of mm-hmm. diversification, which is yeah. complicated. Right. So how many houses were you guys flipping at any one time? Um, I mean, it really varies. I will be honest with you. I'm trying to think. I mean, we I think they could do up to about 20 plus yeah. at a time. And we a had lot- the capacity. I, I wish construction worked where you, you had that even flow. And I see that with teams. Nobody has it, right? Yeah. It's like you get eight houses and then you get two. And mm-hmm. it's this constant roller coaster. Everybody's trying to like work through the kinks. Kind of hard to streamline. Yes. Yeah. So I see some teams that just flip. Mm-hmm. I see other teams that just wholesale. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've put it out there. I'm a reluctant flipper. I will flip it if that's the only exit we have. But if we can wholesale it for less, just take less. I don't even want to think about it. Why do you guys have a hybrid? Again, just so you can maximize those mm-hmm. profits, right? You yeah. know, wholesale in, in any industry, and I talk to everybody, it says the same thing. Wholesale just is a shorter cash conversion cycle. Mm-hmm. In this business, that's really what everybody's trying to get to is this consistent cash flow. Right. Um, because that's where everybody's like, you know, I've, I've, I, I've got money coming in, but I won't see it for 60 days. And so wholesale is really just a shorter cash conversion cycle mm-hmm. that you're able to, to turn deals over. The, the retail side was really, you know, the fix and flip was really just about maximizing the opportunity mm-hmm. as much as possible. Right. Um, and we we're able to really spread that out and kind of go into some outer edges and some rural areas and other markets. And, you know, we really would just wholesale those. You have to be really good at flipping, though, in order mm-hmm. for that to work. Mm-hmm. So what did you guys do to separate yourself from most other flippers? Because most other flippers, most other people that try to have a hybrid it is an ongoing challenge. So what did you guys do so that you guys could flip well consistently? Well, we tried and failed a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. As most people do. Um, I will say Jeremy had a construction background, and so he really had a vision for construction. Okay. Um, and really pushed on that with, uh, you know, we we would butt heads a lot because it's yeah, it kind of felt like construction a lot of times was a little heavy on the personnel side and it would be too lean and construction is just tough. It is not for the weak of heart. Um, Having to work with contractors, get people to show up, uh, get somebody to check the projects. I mean, we probably had a higher turnover in construction. We did any other area of the business Mm -hmm. down from director of construction to every project manager to everything in between. Well, and that's kind of my thing. Like there's all sorts of different reasons. I've made the arguments before against flipping, Mm -hmm. but the last one for me is, I already deal with crazy salespeople. I don't need any crazy subs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I already have enough in my, on my plate. So knowing that the personnel issue was even more challenging, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the juice was worth a squeeze because you guys kept doing it, but how much more were you maximizing? Like what was your average pro- uh, uh, profit on a flip versus average wholesale? Uh, I mean, it was probably double to three times the, yeah. the value, right? So, you know, if we could... Uh, wholesale something and make 10 or 15 we probably could make 50 if not more on, on a on a flip so Got it. uh we were really good at it like i said it was a lot of challenges one of those areas and 
and we would joke all the time, but like construction was just brain damage to, to some degree. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of times where we were just like, we just don't want to do it, but we needed to do it, right? In order to grow the company and what we wanted to do and to really sustain and, and the company, it really grew to be about the people. You know, mm-hmm. that was one of the things I really loved about working with Dan. You know, he's such a genuine people person. And he was like, I've, you know, at this level, I'm not doing this volume just to, to get more, right? He's like, I'm he doesn't need more for, money. Right. He's like, I'm doing it for you guys and, right. and for the whole team. And so, we really looked at like how can we win together and we really needed to be able to maximize that. So it just forced us to, and it comes back to processes and procedures, mm-hmm. right? I spent a lot of time there going, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Right. Let mm-hmm. me help you with this. What are we doing here? Right. Uh, so Jeremy always had the vision and I'm the one walking behind him going, how do we do it and how do we do it better? Right. right. How do we push forward here? How do we document this? Um, what were some of the biggest victories while you were working with, with Dan? So many. Um, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, you know, one of the things, we had a lead manager one time, and I always get a lot of questions about lead management from clients. And, you know, she, I was like, what do you find that works the best? And she worked with us for 10 years, and she was 60. She retired. Like, most people would not even consider hiring somebody that age mm-hmm. in lead management. Um, but she could just do, she could say things to sellers that I couldn't say. <laughs> the other thing you couldn't say. Mm-hmm. She just was there. She was their demographic, mm-hmm. right? So, it was amazing to watch her, and she actually got to retire and, and move to Florida. She worked with the team for 10 years, and she's one of my all-time favorite people. Um, we did a deal, and this has been just recently, the whole team really rallied around it. We got to where we really focused on giving back, and that was a huge win, getting to see deals where we actually helped people, right? Like, we at that volume, it's hard to really, like, you almost become a factory a little mm-hmm. bit. You don't see all the details. You become disconnected from it. Very much, and um, it's really resonates with, resonates with the whole team. We got this deal and this, I'm going to quickly summarize as quickly as I can because I know we're, we're on here, but um, this manager called from Lex Peace Place and this little kid who's 18, just turned 18, um, living in his car. He was homeless. His car didn't run and he had a dog out there and all he did was work. And uh, apparently he his, uh, had inherited a house, but it was uninhabitable. Squatters had taken it over. Um, and so he was just sleeping in his car. And this is a week before Thanksgiving. Not this past year, but the year before. And so just, I don't talk about all the heartstrings, tug, my acquis- you know, acquisitions guy called and he's like, hey, you don't understand. Like, we got to we gotta figure out how to do this. Like, we got to do it quickly. Um, and so, you know, he gives me the details on it. And I don't ever get involved in deals at that point. And at, this was a whole team effort. Um, and so I'm looking at it. I can't get title back soon enough. I want to help this kid as quickly as I can. But you know as well as I do, right before Thanksgiving, what is like the world shuts down in real <laughs> yeah. estate, right? Um, so I just know I'm not going to get it back. And I called Dan. I was like, we're putting this kid in a hotel. I was like, I don't care if I got to pay for it out of pocket. I, you know, we don't care what we got to do. Everybody here will want to chip in. But none of us can just be okay with this kid sleeping in his car. And it's down in like the 20 degrees. His car doesn't run. Um, so anyway, we go up there. Uh, director of construction or ops manager go get him. They take him to an extended end. We find one that takes dogs. Um, there's people that are donating stuff for him. We make sure, we're like, we don't care. He's not going to be sitting there like this. So complicated title situation, obviously inherited. <laughs> there's some additional uh, owners that are, you know, into the recreational drugs. It was every level of difficulty mm-hmm. that you could imagine in these situations. But anyway, the whole team just really riled up this this kid was amazingly sweet barely talked but um our ops manager got somebody she knew to fix his car for free they towed it and fixed it for mm-hmm. free we were able to put him into one of our rentals we were able to buy his house we were able to get it for him 
Uh, we helped him get furniture. We set him up with financial peace. Like we were all just as a team so vested in this kid. Um, and it was just one of those things. It was one of those deals, like we didn't make a dime off that deal. Like mm-hmm. we didn't, nobody cared. Like that, those were the moments. And there are so many of them that I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you, but that was the most recent one. I was really a, a big heartstring and everybody on the team, you know, it didn't matter. Everybody's like, I'll, I'll give you money. I'll like, that's how vested we were as a team. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, so along the way, you said you got EOS approximately 15. When do you guys mm-hmm. join Collective Genius? Uh, 2015. I'm pretty sure it, it was, uh, I always joke and tell people like I show my age, right. When I start talking about how long I've been <laughs> in this industry and, and in this field, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was around 2015. I feel like it was like, one it was like maybe a hundred people probably a little bit more but it was one week it was one group mm-hmm. <laughs> there were one multiple so it was such a giving community um and you know back then it was you know as coos came up nobody really talked about coos or what they did or mm-hmm. and then it kind of become a fad everybody needed a coo mm-hmm. i'm sure you've heard that um but really building that community building a you know i was able to really build some relationships with uh like Ren bartlett and you know, Matt Perry and, you know, we kind of uh, really built a community around that as well, too. So it was just amazing. Like, I feel like that was we were really good at what we were doing. EOS helped us get there. And then, you know, those masterminds were were gasoline on the fire. Yeah. Right. There were all the missing pieces that we didn't have to figure out. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I wasn't there for the fad where everyone had to hire a COO. Yeah. Um, but I do know that that was a missing piece within it mm-hmm. for some time. Whereas basically like you were saying, like you, Matt and, and Ren were like, Hey, we're COOs. We're getting bombarded with these visionary ideas from masterminds. Mm-hmm. What the hell are we supposed to do? I used to joke and tell people I was, and I still tell Millie, I was, I'm going to start a support group for mm-hmm. integrators. <laughs> it's the, it was the missing piece. Yeah. Right. So, you know, talk about that from the integrator perspective. Because I was like Dan, I would go to strategic coach, I would go to these events and, oh, I got all these brilliant ideas. Here's what you got to go implement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that was definitely some some struggles we had. I, I was joking, you know, he used to go to, to CG before me and Jeremy started joining him. Uh, and we were probably one of the few people in the room initially that weren't owners, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't the business owners. We were there because, you know, we were essentially the ones doing, you know, running the business um and so i was making the business actually work right we were uh, i remember he sent me an email one time it was like cg week and i literally sent an email back and with a signature on it, it said hashtag fml cg week <laughs> you know because i knew what that was going to look like for me right yeah. um and so eos was really helpful because that was one of those areas that could be like you know he would come back with a thousand ideas and they wouldn't i'd be like yes no not yet you know what i mean it wasn't just no but it was like Yep, yep, we're going to knock that one out real fast. Nope, we are absolutely not doing that. And yes, this is just, this is a great idea. This is just not a right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had to have a place they could come back and drop all those ideas. But they also, part of the agreement was, I get to be the one to say, yes, no, not yet. Mm-hmm. Right? And so implementation, they knew that fell onto me. So, and then I started going to CG, which was an eye opener. Um, I got a ton of value out of that. Um, and an EOS is really good, but it really only... It, it was only a piece of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's kind of where we started working with Sharper and working with some other coaches along the way. And really, it's like scaling up. We all mm-hmm. read scaling up. Yeah. 
Um, but it, you know, Sharper really added the tactical side of it for us. It was more about the leadership, right? Like we, we had grown and, but we had grown by brute force. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing. It's like, it was almost so painful to a degree. It's like, we had a lot of wins, but it, you know, there were times Jeremy and I'd be sending emails and I joke about this cause it was true. It was all the time, three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. I'd be posting something in a CRM and he would reply back. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, what are you doing? Um, and we ended up having a whole conversation because we're both working at 2 a.m. in the mm -hmm. morning. Yeah. So talk to me about the dynamic in you being able to say yes, no, not yet. Because I don't mm -hmm. think, if I were to guess, maybe less than half the people listening right now would be on board with that. Yeah. So talk to me about that agreement and how that dynamic uh, came about. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was as we started getting into more structure of what we were doing, but ultimately they would try to push stuff forward and realize it just wouldn't go anywhere, mm -hmm. right? Um, they had a lot of the vision. I never had to, I was never showing up going, I want to do this, I want to do that. I love to remove obstacles and hurdles, right? I love puzzles, I love all that stuff. So when I'd see something like, hey, we can do this, we can implement it, how? And we just really had mutual respect for, we really worked on our strengths and our weaknesses, right? We always joke and said yin and yang. Mm -hmm. um, so they respected me enough. And there would be times that they would try to talk me into something or mm -hmm. they would just kind of push on a little bit. And they're like, yeah, but I really think and I'm like, yeah, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, you know, we butted heads a lot, but that's why we were able to do so much more because it was right. never like, no, absolutely not. For the most part, it's like, hey, let's revisit this. This isn't part of what we're trying to do this year. It's like, let's stay focused. Because we realized when we chased all these shiny objects, we got nowhere. Mm -hmm. We did that for a lot of years. So when we started really working the system like we knew, like I said, a lot of times I was really, you know, be like, yeah, we can do that. Um, and a lot of, really there wasn't a whole lot of no's. It was just like, um, we're probably not ready for that or not yet. And yeah. visionaries just really, like even going into sessions, uh, quarterly sessions, we'd have a vision strategy session. I tell people all the time, like, you're, you're, you need to have a vision strategy. Visionaries need the opportunity to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Let's talk the big ideas. Let's otherwise they do it there and try to just force their like, will. Like let's let them talk about their feelings for a little bit. <laughs> well, no, it's like let's talk. <laughs> like you need that. Visionaries right. need that. And I tell integrators all the time and and COs and ops managers I work with, I'm like, it cannot just be a no. Like mm -hmm. they have to understand. Like they they're here because they're really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. um, we, they got to have that space. We got to be able to talk about those big ideas. There's some, there's a lot of gold nuggets in there. Mm -hmm. Not everything, but it's right. no different. You get a hundred leads and you get 10 deals. You know what I mean? 90% mm -hmm. of it's going to be nothing, but we got to, we got to have a space for that in yeah. the business. And that's our rule in our office. Everyone's allowed to say no. Right. They just have to say what it has to be mm -hmm. to make it a yes. And then we can figure out, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. Or, oh, if that's what it takes, then forget it. Um, so, again, going back then, how can you encourage, again, if everyone is listening, how would you encourage them <laughs> to empower their COO or their administrative team to push back? Because I think one thing is that we have these ideas or either we think we have all the right answers or we think we know more or whatever, and we just kind of like shove ideas down our organization. So how can you encourage someone listening to – incorporate more of what you guys had. Yeah, and I do a lot of coaching um, in this area too. That's why I really feel like I get the most enjoyment working with teams and, and leaders. And it's like, you can say, and they really don't know how to have those conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And that was one thing I feel like we're really good at was transparency and candid conversations and telling people like, you can have, you need healthy conflict to grow a business, mm -hmm. right? Or it's just going to go stale. Right. Um, you can say anything to anybody, just like you can with your spouse. Mm -hmm. 
right? You just have to say it with respect and tact. Right. Um, so it's like, hey, let's talk about this, mm-hmm. right? What does this look like? What do you envision? What are you trying to, to overcome? Because nine times out of ten, visionary's idea, they shove it down there. They get going into it. They realize it crashes some other. But it's like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't do that. I'm like, well, I could have saved you a lot of time, mm-hmm. right? So it's really encouraging people, like, to your point, like, if you can say no to anything, how does it get there? A lot of people just don't know how to have those conversations. Let's talk about that. Right. Right? Let's be honest with each other on what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and, again, just – I feel like the biggest part is just have the conversation. Don't be don't be afraid of the conflict. Yeah, and one of my favorite books uh, was uh, "Leadership is Language," mm-hmm. right? And basically, I would say I I I would always say, "Hey, you know, Amanda, I want us to have an open conversation. So if you see anything, just let me know, right?" Mm-hmm. And what we learned from that book is like, no, that still doesn't work because that, that still requires you to challenge me. Mm-hmm. So now it's, "Hey, Amanda, here's here's what I'm thinking. Like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing?" And now I'm inviting you right. to tell me what I'm not seeing, so I create more psychological safety. Versus before, like, hey, just let me know if you don't if there's anything you don't like. You're like, is this the one I want to start this fight on? Right. Is this the hill I want to <laughs> die on? Right. Yeah. Is this where I'm gonna plant my flag? Right. Um, and it's so funny. I feel like that's where a lot of leadership that you know I work with a lot of teams. It's and I feel like they can. It's just how to have those conversations. How to to be candid and open and transparent mm-hmm. and being a leader is giving the other person, like you said, the opportunity to give feedback. Right. And if I have to, somebody says that they're not hitting their numbers, like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, it's really, I don't go in there and be like, Oh my gosh, you're, you know, and I, I joke cause I, I hate pips. I <laughs> don't do a pip. I think they're worthless pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. It basically says it's not, um, it's not if I'm going to fire you, it's just when, mm-hmm. um, but really I like to go, let's look at this and go, Hey, you've been down for like three weeks in a row. Like, what are you seeing? Like, what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. Right? Tell me, give me some ideas of how you can get your numbers up. Yeah. Like, versus coming here and being like, uh, old sales team's like, well, if you don't get your numbers up, I don't know that there's a place for you on the team. How encouraging is that? <laughs> right? It's not very encouraging. Not at all. Yeah. So that's an interesting perspective. So you don't like pips. And like, this seems to be like, it's a pretty polarizing figure, right? It's like either you do pips or you don't do pips. Yes. Right? I, I, I don't see a lot of like middle of the road <laughs> feelings on this. So argue, uh, why are pips worthless? I feel like the way people look at them is, you know, when I get a pip and, and it comes from that corporate world of like, this is your like. Actually, before we do that, what's a pip? <laughs> Uh, personal improvement plan, mm-hmm. right? There's a couple different whatever that yeah. goes with it. But basically, like, like if you're going to give somebody a warning, mm-hmm. right? Basically, I'm, you know, Steve, you're not hitting your numbers. I'm going to put you on a PIP. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have X amount of time to turn your stuff around. So basically, I'm telling you, I'm putting you on notice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places will look like us. I'm just crossing my T's and dotting my I's. So when so I, I let CYA. this person go, yeah, yeah I'm covered. Um, but I don't feel it does. They're like, well, they'll turn it around. Like, I don't feel like that's, I've never seen it happen. Mm-hmm. In my experience in almost 20 years, I've, I've hardly ever seen anybody turn around a PIP at mm-hmm. all whatsoever. Um, and really what we want to do is like, hey, this isn't, like, tell me what's going on with you. Like, how can I help you? Because you're struggling right now. I can see you're struggling. Mm-hmm. You can see you're struggling. Like, you know, we can have a review and talk about it, but. When people get that pip, if they're not already on LinkedIn looking for a job, they probably are now. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like people don't try as hard. They either check out a lot faster or there's some grudge here. Like, it just it widens the gap of mm-hmm. what we're trying to accomplish. If I'm trying to help you get back to where I know you can be, putting you on a 90-day performance plan mm-hmm. probably isn't going to get you there. All right. So let's do something different. 
What would be the arguments for doing a pit? Uh, one, obviously, to dot your eyes, <laughs> right? Cross your T's, make sure you're covered on that. It is intentionally to tell you, like, hey, specifically, this is what I need you to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to kind of cover it like, hey, this is what you're doing well. This is what you're not doing well. These are specific next steps. I feel like you can do all of that without having, like, that official tip. Yeah. I really want you to acknowledge. If you if I sit here and have a conversation and you can't acknowledge that you're struggling or nothing's wrong, you're like, no, I'm, I'm good. There's nothing wrong. Okay, well, maybe this just really isn't the team for you, right? right. Um, so I just, I have personally never got the intended outcome that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. I feel like I really want to build a plan with you, and I'm really going to put it on you. Mm-hmm. I'm really going to ask you, like, see, you know, what do you feel like is causing your numbers to be so low? Where, where are you struggling at? You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times with sales, too, and that's where a lot of people have them, they have these mental objections. And yeah. they've, they've created these scenarios that haven't happened. I want to help them. I want to coach them. I don't want to sit down and put them like, you don't improve in 90 days. You don't have a job here anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough because I have I was on your page. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, it's worthy of something in writing. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it in writing. Yeah. I just, I don't subscribe to like the PIP and how we do it. And like I said, I'm going to have you pull the plan mm-hmm. and then we're going to put it together. I'm actually going to document everything. Everybody knows me as a high D, mm-hmm. but I don't have to necessarily address it like, hey, I've got a PIP for you. Yeah. Right. Cause at the end of the PIP, it's like, hey, if you don't turn us around, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's very clear. Right. Yeah. As uh, Ryan, he calls it a PIP slap. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Now, you recently, parted ways and went off to do your own thing mm-hmm. right so again everything i know from you before was working with dan mm-hmm. seg we hang out right sometimes at the bars <laughs> right and me at the bar never <laughs> um and so you decided to do your own thing you're in a different uh season in your career now mm-hmm. so talk to me about because like 20 years is or however many that's that's a career mm-hmm. that's not a pit stop yes it definitely wasn't um and everybody asked me um you know when you left like what made you decide to leave and they're kind of surprised that i'm not there anymore and what most people don't know and i don't know if they're looking for a, a salacious story and there's really not one mm-hmm. it was a very well planned uh executed exit right mm-hmm. um to the point where i knew and dan knew like it, it was no shock we had talked about it for years and you know i was really vested in that business for a lot of years I and mean, i feel like it was it was family at some point mm-hmm. um but you know, once I got to a different season, my kids were out of the house and my husband are, are empty nesters and you know, I love to travel. I love to do stuff. And I was like, hey, guys, you know, where you guys want to go doesn't necessarily line up where I want to go, but I want to help you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we built a plan. Right. We had a five year plan, a three year plan. Um, it kind of got sad as it got closer to time, but we had built a really good leadership team. Uh, and even for the last year, you know, one of the plans was I was just going to stay around and, and really from kind of a consultant place. And mm-hmm. it was really tough because I almost want to be like, oh, we should do it, you know. So really trying to step back a little bit. But it, it just worked out really well, like I said. And I felt like I was almost to a point where, you know, some people stay on a team too long. Like, I loved everything about Tennessee Homebars. I got a ton out of it. I hope they got as much out of it as I did. Um, but at the same time, people have to leave and move on so other people can step up. You know, mm-hmm. really good ops manager, really good – you know, every city that I gave up, eventually I would realize the person that came in behind me really did it much better than I yeah. did, right? So you can almost hinder growth. Um, so it was it was nothing salacious. It was a great move. I actually put in, you know, we talked about that. I had no clue where I was going to land, mm-hmm. right? Planner. I'm a, I'm a strategist. Um, so it's probably one of the, the more things I was looking at. But 
you know, um, and working with Sharper was really, you know, it kind of came in after all of this stuff mm -hmm. uh, on the long run. So, but it really worked out for the best, but it, it was nothing, it was nothing big. It was nothing well, exciting. Well, yeah, I, and I think that's the, the big thing. You kind of talked about the empty nester. Mm -hmm. And as you said, I was like, man, I'm 12 years away from that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. But it's that there's a season. And once you're no longer obligated to live there, now you have other options. Mm -hmm. So um, why, why work at Sharper? Um, I really feel like, you know, and we, we, I was listening to your podcast not long ago with Paul about the, the why doesn't matter, mm -hmm. you know, and I agree, we don't know the why when we're younger, um, but I figured it out later and I realized that the why really was with Tennessee for the longest time, but it didn't, it didn't meet my why anymore, mm -hmm. right? And my why really at the end of the day was, you know, I wanted to, um, well, what I wanted to give back was I wanted to invest in others had, others had done to me. And I have had pours of counselors and coaches and mentors over the years. And I was at a place I feel like I could give back, right? Yeah. Um, get a lot of calls from from other members like, hey, can I come to an office visit or mm -hmm. can we do this? And so um, it really was able, it gave me an opportunity to give back. And I have a, a, a love variety, you know, it's to the point where I had just outgrown that role mm -hmm. and they had really outgrown me. They have a lot of big plans and, and they're going to step it up. And I just wasn't, you know, I was, like you said, I was in a different season, right? Yeah. And my husband are traveling. We were just in New York City and. We're, we're in Phoenix now, so yeah. you're able to go do what you want to do when you want to do it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the to those days. Yes. Um, and you kind of mentioned a, a moment ago, you were saying that looking back, it seems like everyone is doing your role better than mm -hmm. you were doing it. And this kind of goes back to a concept from Strategic Coach. Uh, I've only heard it there, which is basically there are two different types of uh, managers. You got project managers and you got process managers. Project managers are like, here's an initiative. I need you to build out this process. I need you to build out this procedure. I need you to build out this department mm -hmm. or, you know, build a construction. Like, it's like, go build this. And that's, it takes one person to go create it. Mm -hmm. And then after that's created, you got a different manager, which is a process manager. Mm -hmm. They will execute at a high level time and time again. They may not be the best person to go start a new initiative. Correct. But they can crush this role because they were hired for this role. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're saying like looking back, like they kind of were better at it, it was probably because you're better at creating, mm -hmm. maybe not doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that definitely doesn't, <laughs> uh, it doesn't feed into my thing. But it, it made me realize how much I enjoyed seeing other people succeed, yeah. right? And being able, you know, a lot of times, and I, I work with entrepreneurs every day with Sharper that, you know, they're holding on to stuff and they're like, I'm the only one that can do this. I'm the only one that can do this. And I'm like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> Uh, we all got to get there. Um, but I would realize when I'd step out of a role and, and I would just be there to mentor and work with somebody else. And I'm like, man, it would just go crush it. And that gave me, that made me feel amazing to get to see them yeah. really excelling at something where I'm trying to do five things. I'm really, I'm really altering growth because mm -hmm. that was a big time probably with the company that I probably hindered a lot of growth, right? Because I wasn't willing to give up seats. Mm -hmm. I wasn't willing to get out of the way. I thought I was the only person that could do marketing, right? I did marketing right. for the longest time. But I was the only person that could do property management. Mm -hmm. I was the only person that could talk to sellers. I was the only person that could dispo property. Um, but realizing that when we build the process, we, we create the systems that need to happen, we put the right people in the right seats at the right time, it's just a 10x return, Yeah. right? And people realizing like, you should always try to hire somebody to do a job better than you can do it. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so what is a CSO? 
Okay. So Sharper CSO um, is uh, a Sharper product um, that they just came out with, I think, last year. It's really good. So obviously, I don't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to leave there and step into another CEO role. So they've kind of created the Sharper. Um, it's a Chief Sharper Officer, right? So a lot of people team different sizes, different areas of their business or different phases. But uh, a CSO is I'm a Chief Sharper Officer, which means that I'm here to help kind of guide and, and work with you on a fractional basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we do set calls and, you know, help you with quarterly planning, annual planning, whatever your needs are, and, and try to help you stay focused. As business leaders, whether your team is five, whether it's 10 or whether it's 50, you don't always feel like you have that support that you need. So mm-hmm. I am that person that kind of, you know, walk with you and be like, okay, what do you, we're working on marketing. We're going through the RISE curriculum, um, which anyway, anybody that hasn't been through is amazing. You know, Gary Harper and, and Susan really poured their heart and soul in that. And it's, uh, it's it's amazing, but really trying to help people get from being in the business to on the, you know, getting out of the business and mm-hmm. working on the business. Yeah. So why should a person that's listening right now look into getting uh, a sharper coach mm-hmm. working on their business? A lot of people are just, they don't know what they don't know. Um, and that's one of the biggest things. And they have all these ideas and plans and they just, the biggest thing that I, the biggest feedback I get from teams is they don't know how to get out of the day to day. They feel like they're reacting all the time. I talk to people all the time and they're like, this comes up. I'm sure you've heard everybody's like, I feel like a firefighter, right? Mm-hmm. All I do is put out fires. And I'm like, well, really what you're doing is you're reacting every day to situations. Yeah. You're not proactively doing anything that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really work with them to help build a plan to try to help them get their time back so that they can work on their business and not just in their business. Um, and something that knows me is that I've told people all the time, like, we are not doctors. As you know, I'm like, I, it took me years to realize that, like, we do not save lives, right? <laughs> there is no such thing as a real estate emergency. If a house is on fire, call 911, <laughs> then tell me about it. Right. I can't do anything about it. So really helping um, leaders and team members, like one, you know, really in leadership and growth. And two, it's like, how do we help you get your time back? Mm-hmm. How do we help you get out of the weeds of what you're doing? Um, and it's really just, it's a mindset and it's a growth um, that needs to happen. They want it. They just don't know about how to implement that. What does that look like? How right. can I be here for my team, but also work on the business where I'm not constantly, I always joke, tell people I hear this all the time. Like, I guarantee you get ready to get started on something and people almost won't start something. They'll almost get, it'll be like, I, I got a project to work mm-hmm. on, but they're waiting for the next got a minute, mm-hmm. right? Which I feel like is the devil, right? Those yeah. things are will kill you. Well, it never ends. It They don't. And all you're doing is setting up your team to come ask you questions anytime mm-hmm. they need something. Yeah. So it's really, you can do both. You can have both. It's not that I tell people, like, I'm not going to try to get you out of your business where you're just disconnected on a beach somewhere, um, unless that's your plan. Realistically is how do we get you working in your genius zone where you're working on your stuff and you're still available for your team? How yeah. do we build that bridge where you can know what's going on in your business, be involved, but not constantly reacting to everything every day. Yeah. And you guys have been really instrumental. You specifically, you know, because like when I went through my turnover, right? 22, 23 was not great for Phoenix. <laughs> right. And so there was some turnover mm-hmm. as we were figuring things out. And so like we were at our bottom. I was actually so excited about starting over with just two people left. Right. I was beyond excited because now we get to build everything the right way. Right. There are no more legacy procedures, no more legacy processes, mm-hmm. no more legacy obligations. 
we got to finally turn everyone to W2. It's like a, you don't like to fix. You don't like to fix and flip. And it's kind of like, you know what? I'd rather just knock the house down and start mm -hmm. over. Just start over. Just start over. Well, because like one of the last things we had to change was changing everyone to W2. Mm. Right? And it was like, okay, well, we got, we got this high performer. Yep. Because the 1099, he's not going to be happy about going W2. And like when he left, it's like, okay, we, there's literally nothing stopping us from rebuilding everything the right way mm -hmm. now. So I'm excited and I'm really grateful that, you know, with you and Sharper uh, and, and working with uh, and Jaden and mm -hmm. building us all right away. I mean, even just the little things, right? Like you pushed us to print our process maps. Like we always had it in um, Lucidchart. Everybody does. Right. You're like, just print it. And like just night and day after having it printed on the walls, like looking at it, it's like, okay, well, that's that's not true today. <laughs> well, everybody has a gut feel of what they think it is. I'm like. Print it. I work with people. Like print it. Put it as big as you can on the walls. And then when things aren't working, ask yourself because we got to lean them out, right? Mm -hmm. We got to get better at them. Get them out of our head, and then we got to make them better. And I'm like, every time something snags or doesn't work, go look at it and be like, where in this process did we skip it? Did we skip a step? Did we not do it? Do we have the wrong process? It's that visual. I find mm -hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs uh, and a lot of uh, venturers and stuff. I'm like, it's the visual they can easily pinpoint. You're not going to go in a lucid chart and be like, where did it break here? No. Definitely right. not going to lose a chart. Most people right. won't. I have to like go get my login, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And as a matter of fact, we updated the process again this week. Good. Because uh, we had a situation where, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, but this is how we run our business, uh, is I borrow um, our private money mm -hmm. at purchase price plus closing costs plus a little bit of upfront revenue. Okay. And our revenue after everything was said and done was less <laughs> than projected. Like, so, you know, our TC is like, hey, Steve, I want you to look at the settlement statement. We're bringing money to close. This doesn't make sense. You say we're profiting off of it. It's like, but we are. Mm -hmm. It's just less than we thought it was going to be. Right. Right. We bought this thing projecting to make 50. We're only making 19. Right. But we projected 50. So we got 25 up front. Mm -hmm. And so now <laughs> we're bringing cash to so close. So it was profitable. You just already got the money. You just already got the money. You already got the money. Right. But, uh, you know, this hasn't happened recently. And so now what do we do? Okay, hey, now we gotta update the processes. Mm -hmm. Hey, if we're gonna accept the contract, let's just get an estimated settlement statement mm -hmm. or estimated um, uh, profit. So then, mm -hmm. if we know we're gonna be short, we know it. Right. So your TC now has a process to get that beforehand, get it reviewed and approved so everybody's on the same page. So and now the finance department knows, Yeah. hey, we're gonna have some money aside to pay it back, to pay back the loan. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, yesterday it was an uncomfortable conversation. Yes, we yeah. can do that. Right. But you, you have a great team now. Um, I know Jaden is really just vested into the business. I mean, you're lucked out. I know a lot of people ask me, like, how do I get that? Right? Mm -hmm. How do I find that person? Um, and I think his un unwavering determination, I just feel like he's so like, I'm going to win, yeah. right? Right. Um, but yeah, just working with him, you see a lot of that stuff. It's like when I first started working with your team, he was just like, all I do is answer questions all day. And all I do is put out fires all day. And I'm like, how do we get you from, from that to being connected with the team, holding people accountable, but also working on the business? How do we get you where you're proactively seeing trends and, and not just reacting to something right. that you noticed? Well, dang, that happened three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I think the key, which I don't know other tools besides Perception Predict measures this, because um, we use PI, mm -hmm. uh, we use Meyer Briggs, Mm -hmm. But it was Perception Predict that says he's got 100% grit. Mm -hmm. I believe it. Yeah. Yes. So having 100% grit. Uh, so I don't know if we need to sign up for another program, but 
knowing that you got a guy that just won't quit. There's no quit in him. Yeah. Right? So you can do a lot with that. That's yeah. huge. Well, and I guess, you know, for someone that's listening, you know, to find someone like that, I could say for sure what's helped. He's been a, com- uh, a competitive uh, martial arts <laughs> MMA guy. Okay. Good to know. So having a competitive MMA guy. Right? I know a lot of people that hire from just athletics, sports, whatever, you know. Well, so we hired a recruiter. Um, and the number one thing we're looking for is they played college sports. Okay. That's the number one thing, right? If they play college sports, it's an indicator that mm-hmm. they're competitive mm-hmm. and they know what it takes to win. And discipline. And discipline. Mm-hmm. Right. Like these are people like uh, was it Max um, Vollmer. Right. Uh, I don't know if you know Max. He was, he's in CG. Like the guy uh, was uh, the Catholic. Right. Is, was mm-hmm. it the Catholic for Germany. So like he's only had alcohol like five times in his life. Wow. That's commitment. Yes. Right. So how do you find guys that know what it takes to win and will do what it takes? That's really smart. There's a lot of teams that I work with that kind of subscribe to that. There's a lot of people that only hire people that are, you know, previous like professional athletes or even semi pro mm-hmm. or they have to have a track history is what we're looking for, right? Yeah. Is a track record of success. Um, I, I talk a lot of people and lead managers are always looking for lead managers and TCs. And I'm like, one of the things people don't talk about when they're hiring is, yes, we want to do the PI and we have a hiring process, but also I'm looking for somebody that has life experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that just goes unnoticed so much, right? Oh, I'm with you on that. When I go to an appointment, yeah, I can share life experience. Exactly. A 20-year-old right. doesn't connect the same with a 60-year-old. I used to try to do that with lead managers, and I'd have to tell them, like, I need you to listen to the news every day. Like, you're required to be able to tell me what the weather's going to be like and <laughs> what are the most the highest current events, because guess what sellers want to talk about, mm-hmm. right, are these things. So, um, but I actually look for that. I, I don't try to hang up on the age so much, but I only want people in sales and lean management acquisitions that have life experience. To your point, they can bridge a gap that if you don't, you can't. Right. Yeah. You can't talk about the challenges with your kids. Right. Like You can't talk to an empty nester about the kids moving out if you don't even have a wife. Very true. Right. Yeah. Um, especially uh, when it comes to if you bought a house, if you sold a house, like you can talk about what some of the struggles were. You know what some of the struggles were. If you inherited a house or if you have a loved one, caregivers, mm-hmm. hoarders, that's a whole level of experience that you need. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. So um, right now, you know, describe what your life looks like now versus, you know, when you were first getting into real estate. Vastly different. Vastly different for sure. Um you know, getting into real estate was exciting um, and it was fun and I loved it and I still do, but it was a lot of burning the candle at both ends, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like all of us have learned it. Like, you know, you see these people and you're like, oh my God, I want to be that. And you're like, what you don't see is that 20 year grind in the background. Yeah. Um, a lot of weekends, a lot of nights, a lot of just, you know, pouring in there. And now I just really get to work with other teams um, that I really enjoy. But for me right now, I'm at a point where, you know, everybody always asks people, what does freedom look like for you? Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm working with teams and they're trying to tell me what they're trying to get to, I'm like, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, and they always say the same thing. Like, I want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, so financial freedom, right? Like, you want to be in the business, not be in the business. You, it doesn't matter, right? right. You want to run around. Um, so I'm kind of at that place. And I always joke and tell people, like, I've been in this long enough. Like, I'm, I'm there now, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing this because I love working with teams, not because I have to. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to relocate. A lot of life changes in 2023. 
Um, but me and my husband get to travel a ton, um, you know, working with Sharper. I get to work with clients because I want to, not because I'm obligated to. Right. Um, so kind of I feel like, you know, debt free. I have my investment portfolio, you know, things like that. And I get to travel and meet with teams. So um, I, I love it. I love working with other teams. But to your point, I always tell people, like, what do you want to do? I feel like I am at that point now where I am doing what I want to do mm -hmm. when I want to do it. Yeah. So um, you got the passive income. Mm -hmm. where if you say, Gary, I don't want to talk to this person anymore. Mm -hmm. No sweat off your back. None. Yeah. Nope. When do you think you achieve that? Where it's like, hey, we can fire this client. I mean, even before Sharper, right? Like back mm -hmm. when you were with Tennessee, like when, do you remember the first time you're like, I don't want to talk to this person ever again. Can we just remove this person? Yes, that's, that's a little tougher. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a client. It could be a vendor. It could be a supplier, a relationship. Yeah. Well, and you know, we actually had a, a salesperson one time that was really, really, really good. And he drove everybody crazy, right? We mm -hmm. talk about that in Sharper with the nine box, right? You have a high performer, low trust yeah. kind of person. And a uh, phenomenal human being. But, oh, my gosh, he was, I, I could tell that it changed the culture because the minute he walks in the door, everybody's doors would shut in their office, right? Wow. Like people would go out of their way to kind of avoid the situation. They knew it was going to be something crazy. Never follow the process. It was just, it wore on everybody. So that's how I, I, I walked out one day and I realized everybody shut their doors when his truck got in the parking lot. I was like, wow, what does that do to your culture, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, it was kind of a tough situation. Me and Jeremy were just like, you know, at a certain level, we really thought we would be cutting off our nose despite our face, mm -hmm. right? Like you brought in 50%, if not more, of the business mm -hmm. that we had. And, uh, I tell you what, I tell people when like when you get rid of the wrong people on the team, like the team rallies, like everybody was so geared up. We never missed a beat. Like we really were fearful we would. We never missed a beat. We actually probably did more business that year than we had done in previous mm -hmm. years. And the whole team just kind of rallied. Yeah. Um, so I tell people, like, if you have anybody in your life that you don't want to work with, like life's too short. You know, and that's why yeah. I tell people, like, you know, I'm not I always joke, uh, Austin always introduces me and says I'm retired. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I don't know if retired is the right word, but, you know, I do. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, but, you know, time is the greatest asset we have, right? And I grinded out, Lisa Jaden and everybody else does, for a lot of years. And there's a lot of times I can't get back. But um, I'm in a place now where time is my greatest asset. I'm unwilling to work with people that don't bring value to my life, right? right? Like, I, I'm a big giver, but I want to receive, too. And if I don't feel like I can bring you value or, you know, I feel like you're going to steal my energies. Like I'm at a place I absolutely will not work with you. I will feel like the last 10 years as we get older and you said, you said it better. You say, as we mature, I'm less likely to, you know, I'm more, I'm more quickly be like, yep, nope, no, thank you. Right. I don't care what you got to bring to the table. It's just not, it's not worth it to me at yeah. that level. Have you let go of any clients since you went to Sharper? Um, we don't have to name names. <laughs> I would say that there are a few that have moved to other coaches, maybe that I, I wouldn't say got rid of them, but there's been some teams that, you know, I've, I've worked with and maybe I thought I didn't bring them the most value or they didn't, you know, vice versa. So we will try to make sure that you're working with the right coach. You know, we all have kind of different skill sets. I'm very heavy in operations and specifically in real estate and work with a lot of real estate teams, Austin with, you know, talent management. He is a PI guru, mm -hmm. right? Um, and Braden McCurdy with marketing and, you know, Carrie and Susan. So it's what I really love about it is everybody is can do any of it, but we're all specialized in some areas. And so we really try to help clients 
if your issue right now is marketing, we're going to try to really encourage you to work with Brandon, right? right? If you're struggling with process and procedures and, you know, operational leadership, then I'm probably going to be the team member. Um, if hiring, you just can't hire, you can't do anything until you hire the right people. We're probably going to get you with Austin. Yeah. So we really do try to mix it up. So I, I haven't fired anybody, but I have moved team members around at clients yeah. around and vice versa to make sure they're working with the right people at the right time. Gotcha. Um, and I, again, we we're just going kind of going down that route, just that, that road, because there is a lot of pleasure when you're able to say, you know what, we should see other people. Are you, can you, are you at that place now? Um, I've, I would say even when I was in that place financially, mm -hmm. it was well worth it always to be like, yeah, you're taking so much of my energy. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. I, mean, I remember this specifically and I actually didn't get a chance to fire this client because they fired me. Right. Mm -hmm. But if they hadn't fired me mm -hmm. for sure, at the end of that conversation, I was firing them. Right. Cause like she was rambling on and ranting. You didn't do this and do that. Like, you know, the photos are wrong. This is realtor days. Like I'm embarrassed by these photos, like mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed by these photos, like it's a professional photographer. Right? Like she, right. And it was just because the photos weren't in the right orders. That's all it was. Right. But it was clear that she was high maintenance and her tone was not respectful. Mm -hmm. And so I was so looking forward to like, as soon as, as soon as she was done, I was like, we should see other people. Right. Like, but she was like, Hey, I don't think we should work together. I was like, I agree. Hung up the phone, sent the cancellation. We're done. Yes. Right. And move on and move on. Cause there's nothing worse than taking energy from people that deserve it. Mm -hmm. because the wrong people are stealing it. Right. And there was a time, you know, we, we've definitely done some deals and, you know, Jeremy and I kind of got to a place where eventually it's like, there were some deals where we had sellers that were so difficult. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, we kind of be like, we didn't want to take away from the team, but also too, we knew you start to identify those situations. Like this is going to drag everybody's energies down. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to work with this person. They're super difficult. And we would, we would let people out of contracts be like, you know what? We bless you. Good luck. Like you said, you joked, we talked about in the South, like, bless your heart. Here you go. We don't want to buy your house. Right. right? Um, that doesn't happen often. But to your point, it is, it's nice when you get to that point where you're like, you know what? Not worth it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and something that, you know, I was talking earlier before the, 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 the podcast, we're doing the installment method. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things I enjoy with the installment method is that this relationship could be over uh, where we can close your transaction in a matter of days. And then I don't have to give you updates. Our, our transaction core doesn't have to update you for the next few weeks. It's just transactions done and we move on and we get to do whatever we need to do with the house. Right. Right. So there's a lot of freedom and not having to, I don't know, like we got into this business. We want to serve, we want to help people, mm -hmm. but we also don't want to have a boss. Correct. And there's elements where sometimes it feels like we have a boss. Well, we're, we're, we're providing a service, right? So we still people, it's like, it's not that we're buying houses, we're providing a service, we're a marketing and sales company. Um, and so we have to really always put ourselves in the place of the customer, right? right. Um, I, I've heard about this installment, so I think it's gonna be huge, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're always looking for ways to, you know, this industry changes so fast. It does. Uh, it's, it's almost scary sometimes. Um, so I, I think it's awesome, but I'm excited yeah. for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's what's most exciting is that always finding that new competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Always looking for that other advantage. Uh, what is your purpose? You know, you're saying like we were talking about a moment ago, like what is your why? What drives you and what drove you then doesn't drive you the same today. Right. So what is your what is your why today? Yeah, used to it was to win, right? Um, I joke we were talking earlier about spouses. You know, me and my husband are still we're super competitive, right? We're both high A's. Uh, I mean, there are times that we would leave a restaurant at the same time and <laughs> take different routes to see who could pull in the driveway first. Right. Like everything's competition. That's what we really enjoy that about each other. So 
Um, but back then, you know, my 20s and 30s, it was a grind. It was to win. It was, you know, I just wanted to lifelong learners, wanted to do more and be more. Um, and now it's really about stepping back and it's really about helping people because I've looked back through my journey over the last 20 years and I realized that I never would have gotten half of where I was if it wasn't for other people, mm -hmm. right? If it wasn't for the CG community um, and if it wasn't for other operators and market people and, and willing to share information and, you know, I just would have never got there. So I realized when I had so many people asking me, like, you know, calling me, asking me, can, hey, can you jump on a call or, hey, can I do an office visit? And it's kind of like, why? Um, I didn't really understand it. And, and I realized that I'm now in a place with my experience that I can really give back to other people. Mm -hmm. And I look back and see the people I've hired over the years and see them, you know, just really killing it in their roles. And I, I, I enjoyed that success and seeing that I can do the same with others. So mm -hmm. I get a ton of joy out of it. Do I enjoy the travel? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I joke all the time. I'm in five states sometimes a week. Uh, it can be difficult, but I love, I get so much out of working with teams. I love seeing them win. Mm. I love coming back and seeing what they've got accomplished. Um, it really, it feeds, it, it, it really does feed my why. Do you get to travel with your husband at all the stops? Yeah, not all the stops. Um, so he's still, um, you know, he's still working. And so, I don't know what that's going to look like, but we are planning certain trips. We just went to New York City because um, I was with a client. We're coming back out here mm -hmm. in a couple weeks. Um, so he's going to come with me so we can do some stuff. So we do have an agreement. I think last year we traveled a ton. I think we made seven or eight trips mm -hmm. last year. So we both love to travel. Yeah. And to your point, you know, you're going to be there in 12 years. I'm like, we were kind of, we were, we've been preparing for it. We told our <laughs> kids when. We're like, when we graduate, you know, our youngest is in college. And that was kind of our, it was kind of the moving forward point. You know, we have our older two daughters, our, our, they have families of their own. Our youngest is in college. And we're like, what are we going to do with our time? We realized we really like each other. Mm -hmm. We still enjoy hanging out together, believe it or not. Uh, we don't have nearly the fights you do when your kids are younger. Um, so we really enjoy getting to do stuff, challenging each other. Um, I have such an amazing husband. He's so supportive. Um, he will challenge me at every step and turn, but he is so supportive of me at the same yeah. time. And, and that's a game changer. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, we're trying to, the intent, because the kids have, we have year-round school. Mm -hmm. So we have shorter summer breaks, but we have longer spring breaks and fall breaks. So yeah, the, the objective of my wife is we want to be able to travel every break with the kids. That's good. Yeah. And really what a lot of times we're looking for in that is we're looking for experiences, mm -hmm. right? What she's probably shooting for is like experiences. Like she really wants the quality time of that. She wants to give the kids experiences. Like those are things that you can't get back. You can't. No. no. Yeah. yeah. And she's, my wife has been such a hard worker for mm -hmm. uh, a lot of her career. Like she looks back now. I was like, oh man, I wish. Because mm -hmm. she, she can do it now with the little one, but she can't take back, get back that time with the older ones. Uh, what is your biggest struggle today? Um, I'm gonna be honest with you, working with all these teams and, you know, you know, my profile, my, my personality too. The biggest struggle I have today is not wanting to jump in and do things for teams. <laughs> um, I have to really be mindful. I will overcommit and I'll be working with a team and they're struggling to get their numbers together. And that's really one of the biggest things I see. A lot of them don't have the right numbers. They have too many numbers. Mm -hmm. They can't see, they can't tell what they don't know. Um, or they don't have their numbers and I'll see stuff and. In my experience, I just, we talk about this low C, right? Mm -hmm. High A. I just want to, you know, I'm just send me that and I'll put it together, yeah. right? Like I'll just, I'll come, I'll do it. You know, right. when are you, have, I will just come out there and do it. And so my biggest struggle today is really being mindful that I'm here to help coach and lead people and, and be there and be a resource for them, but I can't do it for them. Yeah. 
and I want to because I want to see people win. I, I mean, I want to see them win. And I'm like, I could do it quicker. I could do it faster. But I remind myself in telling other people I coach them, like, that's the kryptonite. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to feel like you're my, if your team feels like you're micromanaging, the worst thing you could tell somebody is, or you do, is you're like, well, this person can do it, but I can just do it quicker and I'll knock it out. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is, I don't trust you and I do it better. Mm-hmm. It's not your intent. But that's what. That's the message. That's the message. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got a stern talking to you at some point last year. Right. And, hey, mm-hmm. Steve, I know you can do this. I know you can do it fast. Mm hmm. But you're screwing up my processes. Yeah. And we're kryptonite, right? Yeah. We 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 hinder other people's growth. And if you do that enough, people quit trying. Mm-hmm. You can have the greatest, sharpest people in the role, but if you don't give them the tools to run and trust to run, they're either going to quit trying or they're going to go try somewhere else. Right. Those are your options. Yeah. Neither are really good. Uh, so how, how do you stay motivated? Um, or do I mean, you require motivation in the season? I'm pretty self-motivated. Um, I get motivation off getting to help people. I love challenges. That's I know it's silly. I know it's crazy, but no, it's I'm, high, eh? I, I'm one of those people. Like, I love puzzles, anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. So when I work with these teams, I get a ton of motivation from being able to see the obstacles and the hurdles because I have all that, you know, I have a lot of experience in really helping them. Like that motivates me, trying mm-hmm. to help them like, what do you think about this? Have you tried this, right? Trying to help push them that direction. Uh, and that motivates me when they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, this worked. This was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, that is so motivating to me. Mm-hmm. I love the feedback. I guess my love language is also words of affirmation. Right. So, Well, I can say for sure, uh, you know, we've been at this business about the same amount of mm-hmm. time. And for me, it's always been, I've had the opportunity to mentor lots of people. And my favorite people to, to, to mentor are those that do exactly what you tell them to do <laughs> and they report the success. <laughs> those are by far my favorite people, right? The people that don't do mm-hmm. or they had to add their flavor to it and mm-hmm. then they told you it didn't work, drive me bonkers. Yes. So, yeah, my, uh, even though words of affirmation is not my love language, yeah. when someone says, I did what you told me to do and it worked, worked. great. Yes. Man, my favorite people. I love that. I try to be really mindful that I'm not telling people what to do because mm-hmm. we're kind of different. Like you're, you're really instructing them. I'm really trying to help them get there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help them build a framework of decision making for mm-hmm. their team um, to step more into a leadership role. I always joke and tell people, I'm like, like I, I get this from every from from all the owners. They're like, I just really don't like managing people, and I'm like, that's great because you should not manage people. Mm-hmm. You should lead people, but manage processes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we want to lead people, not manage them. Nobody wants to be managed. Right. Um, so I was joking. They're like, well, this is a manager. Like, what are they managing? They're managing people or managing a process. Mm-hmm. Usually it's the process. Right. Um, so, yes. And I do have some teams that, uh, you know, with you, it's like you can you can lead a horse to water. <laughs> right. But yeah. uh, you can't make them drink. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, you look at. Obviously, you're working with people that are high, high functioning mm-hmm. uh, performers. Uh, but there are a lot of people we attract that are not necessarily in that season mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure it out, right? They're still dealing with some of the mental baggage mm-hmm. of, you know, because we all deal with this when we first start. It's like, is this possible? Is this real? How do I manage my time? This and that. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with that uh, group of people, they haven't figured out some of the other stuff yet. And when you tell them to go do this, They've got self-talk about why that won't work, mm-hmm. right? Either from their upbringing, 
or their uh, their friends and family or whatever. It's like, just do it. I promise you. What it happens, works. I was joking. I, I say it's acquisitions and lead managers too. We talk about leading indicators and I always tell people like, this is what I look for because they build this mental objection that never happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens in sales a lot too. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I know you see it with your sales training is I tell people like, they start inventing objections that hadn't occurred. Right. They have a bad experience. And so I'm constantly looking at leading indicators um, or trying to help people look at that to see, like, we want to try to get ahead of that as quickly as we can. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. It happens to us all. Mm-hmm. We take a really bad, you know, beating on a, on a situation, and then they go into the next one, and it's kind of skittish, right? We're mm-hmm. just like, you know, just, you know, just like, hand it to me. Do I really want to do this again? Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, and they have a bad experience, and it's the same thing with teams I work with. And I work with entrepreneurs that are sole operators. I have several of those that just really small. I have some that have a team of, you know, three or four and all the way up to, uh, you know, worked with one team and, and they do 400 plus deals and, you know, they're, they're monstrous, like 60 employees. So um, everybody has their struggles. I don't care what phase of business you're in. Mm-hmm. Like there is a struggle yeah. that you're going to encounter. Like you said, what was the difference from 20 to 50, 50 to a hundred, right. right? It becomes people and in processes and in people again and how mm-hmm. do we make this you know repeatable um so there's a lot of challenges along the way and I, I really enjoy working with people but yeah not everybody uh does it you know takes that advice All right what is your superpower um i knew you were gonna ask me this too uh, i should have been more prepared um i feel like I'm really good at strategy and execution, right? I'm not the person that's going to say, hey, we should go do this charge, right? I'm a person that tells you, you tell me where you want to go and what that looks like for you. What does success look like for you? And I can, I love to plan and I can build a roadmap and this is what we got to do. And I'll put the play, like that is my superpower. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to be like, this is where I'm going. I'm like, this is how we're going to get here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and am I always right? Absolutely not. Are you always right in the direction? Absolutely not. No. But I am not afraid to be like, let's go. Right? right. And I think some people get, I get a lot of like, well, what about this? And what about this? And I'm like, there's a lot of butts in the world. <laughs> like, pick a direction. Yeah. Right. Make a move. Making no move is the worst thing that you can do. Right. Yeah. So, what would Fish say if I was asking him, what's Amanda's superpower? <sighs> I don't know. Um, working with him. Probably uh, insane, you know, uh, anybody knows Jeremy knows that. I mean, the, the man is so smart, genius level, right? Um, absolutely. We challenge each other on every level and honestly like made us better, you mm-hmm. know, and I was kind of joke, you know, uh, I'm his strength and his weakness and he's my strength and my mm-hmm. weakness. Right. right. Um, and so it was a lot, but I don't know what he would say. My superpower is um, I'm just, you know, those guys are really good about knowing where they wanted to go. And I was really good at executing on it and making yeah. it happen. Yeah. Uh, what's your biggest regret? Mm, you know, that one's actually an easy one for me. Um, as much exposure as I had to real estate, I didn't buy my first rental property for like seven years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was, I, I saw all the negatives. I was doing project management. I saw the stuff could go wrong. Uh, I was just You knew really, how the sausage was made. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. And I was like, ah, you know, and I had all the opportunity. And so... I didn't buy my first rental property until, you know, seven years in the business. And then I, I, it was so easy after that. Once you buy one, you can mm-hmm. you can easily buy some more. And I really, my biggest regret is not buying more assets sooner and mm-hmm. holding them longer. 
Yeah. Um, that if I could go back and unwind it and do anything, I would. And I work with clients now that have none. And I'm like, well, what is your, what's your exit? What's your plan? Or like passive income. I'm like, okay, but do you have any passive income? Mm-hmm. They're like, no. And I'm like, do you see where we should start working on that? <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, my biggest regret is uh, not buying more rental property sooner and not holding longer. Yeah. And in Tennessee, like you were cash flowing mm-hmm. pretty quick. Yeah. 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 Especially over the years. I've got some really good deals. I think my first rental property I bought for twenty four, twenty seven thousand dollars. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um uh and it was total it was a total gut. It was a rehab, it was yeah. a condo. Um crazy. I remember my payments once I, I, I bought it and I fixed it up and did all that. I think my payments were two hundred and fifty dollars a month. Man. Um and I think my rents at the time were like six fifty, seven hundred. And I, I think today they're they're up at like I think we're getting like twelve hundred. Yeah, you're doing year. all right with that one. Yeah, I've got a few of those um, <laughs> that I was, you know, bought a long time ago or a certain times. But I, I wish I would have. I wish I would have bought them sooner. Once I did one and two, I was almost addicted to it a little mm-hmm. bit, and I was like, "Why?" I had every opportunity. So to- you became one of your top buyers in your market. Oh, absolutely! Your- Everybody knew I had an area and I had a type, and you know, I'd see stuff come through, and I'd be like, "Hey, I'll offer seven. And I had to compete, just like everybody else. Yeah. You know, they're, right. they're a wholesale deal. If the company was going to buy it, the company bought it. Had other wholesalers send me stuff, and I was you had like, to pay market. Huh? You had to pay market. I had to pay market. Yeah. That's part of the deal. Everybody's always asked, like, uh, that's something that comes up is you know, if they have uh, people in their team that want to buy properties, I'm like, they should have the same shot everybody else has to buy it, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you give it to them, but they should have shot. Why right. wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that's something that we incorporated last year. So we have a, a, a Google chat channel mm-hmm. for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're in media or in our education department, wholesale department, or, uh, you know, you're, well, I guess the education department. But now that we're doing virtual for those guys, doesn't matter where you are. Mm-hmm. You see all our deals in the Google chat. Awesome. Yeah. Is that, if, has anybody participated in taking you up on some of the deals? Uh, not yet. Okay. But it's there. That was an initiative we had from last year. And so that opportunity is there. Just waiting for someone to yeah. want to do it. Well, and you got to kind of push people through along. One of the things uh, that I was able to do, we had a really good culture. And if anybody, if there's anything I was really proud about working with that team was the culture. Mm-hmm. We actually got to a point, I feel like this when I left, is we had people that came to us that wanted to work for us just because they wanted to work on our team. They're like, I don't care what opening you have. Like yeah. I will, I don't even, it's not about the money. Like I know somebody works on this team and I want to work here. Yeah. And that's when I started to realize that we had something so amazingly special mm-hmm. uh, in the culture. And so, you know, working with people in one-on-ones, you know, and I always find out what, what are you trying to accomplish? What does that look like for you? You know, there's personal and there's professional and buying a house was a common thing, younger mm-hmm. people, especially, and they're like, I want to buy a house. So we would actually try to mentor them and like, Hey, this is, what do you know about financing? What do you know about this? I'm going to say overall, probably helped about five or six employees buy their first house. Several of them we bought, the company bought, we were going to buy them anyway. Mm-hmm. We would renovate them and then we would sell them to them. Yeah. Right. Um, more of a primary. We did have a few due investments too, but I thought more people would get involved. But it's it's nice to see. It's rewarding yeah. to see. Well, and it goes full cycle, right? right. You get to see the whole yes. from beginning, from when we source the deal to putting an end buyer into it. Mm-hmm. All within the organization. Yes. Um, and they're just so excited. And to know that we invest in them and, you know, that they get the opportunity to buy mm-hmm. that house first more. And, you know, they got the first shot. You know, they if it was a retail buyer or if it was a wholesale deal, I mean, we didn't give up anything for them, but we helped them. We gave them preference that mm-hmm. we wanted them to win. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's key because why mm -hmm. that's how you build a culture. It's like, yeah, we actually want you to win. I actually had someone who we recruited some time ago. And it was like, it's interesting to go working from someone who wants to make, he wants a hundred people to make him a millionaire mm -hmm. to work in a company that wants to create a hundred millionaires. Right. Yeah. Cause you realize uh, that it's, you know, you to give, you gotta, or to get, you gotta give. Yeah. Right. And the same thing, but we want to win together. I am telling you, I've not seen a single team that at all is all about one person and their team works for them. Most all entrepreneurs, they think that I'm in this business because I don't want a boss. Mm. They realize it's like, you're not, you're, you're, you're pairing these people like this is their livelihood, right? This is your team. You're not going to grow without them and they're not going to grow without you. Right. Um, so it becomes this, uh, the synergy about how can we win together? Right. It has to be. Yeah. We always joke. I told you earlier, our, uh, our, we used to look for people culturally. It's like, would you hide a body for this person? <laughs> I know it's not, you know, but it was, we would joke around, but it was true. It's like, you know, when we asked each other if we want to work with somebody, it's like, would we hide a body for this person? Mm, yeah. Not that we have, I'm not saying we have, I'm just saying, not saying we haven't. that that was the loyalty <laughs> level that we looked for. Yeah. How committed will you bleed for us? Yes. Yeah. Uh, is there any one failure that you learned the most from in your, in along your journey? Lots. Um, so many, but there's a lot of leadership failures along the way because I didn't realize that I was a leader. I think that was a big struggle for me. I, I was so good at pushing and I wanted to win at stuff that I don't, I don't think I realized how many people were paying attention to what I was saying and what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and if I could go back and, and, you know, make some adjustments, I've probably would have handled situations center. I would have done different things. Um, I don't feel like I actually became a leader to like the last you know, five, maybe 10 years. Um, up until that point, I was just a grinder and I was a manager. Mm -hmm. I managed people. I've, I've probably lost great people over the years because I'll either micromanage them or, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're so good. I'm like, a lot of hard lessons, a lot, ton of hard lessons. I didn't yeah. want to be a leader. I, I didn't know what that meant. You know, it wasn't until I really started digging into that. You know, we talked about second in command and I love the road, the road less stupid. Fantastic book. A wonderful book. Um, but I feel like I did a, a did the company a disservice not stepping into a leadership role and fighting it more along the way. I really just wanted to get it done. And I wanted to win, and I really didn't know what this thing. I thought leadership was a word people used. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until I started seeing other people win and, and successes that I was able to make that change. So, yeah, I, I kind of share like I have this um, when I opened the brokerage. It's purely out of greed, mm -hmm. right? It's like why'd you get a wrestling? It's purely out of greed. Like mm -hmm. it, was, it was just greed. And then you kind of have this like as a, a Christmas story, right? Where it's like, you know, the mm -hmm. your your heart turns like, oh, like there's something fulfilling here mm -hmm. in helping people win. Right. Yeah. So um, was there any one relationship or one situation that occurred? You're like, man, like if I had to do it all over again, like this was the one that like I learned the most from. Hmm. Again, so many. That's what happens when you're old and you've been in this industry a really long time. Um, yeah, I had one. I, I had a TC one time um, and she was an outright grinder, right? Um, phenomenal person. She was just young. Um, she didn't have a lot, a lot of life experience and she just, she would grind and grind and she did good and she would make things happen nobody else would make happen. But she would also just really poor at like how she handled situations. She would blow things up sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, 
I really could have done more to mentor her. And I feel like I probably snuffed her out more. I brought her down more than I brought her up. Yeah. Right. Um, I still talk to her today. I just sent her some, some referrals uh, last week on some other people. And, you know, it was one of those things. And I was going to try to move her into a different role. And she ended up walking the door. And she had been on the team like three or four years. And she just quit. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, she can't work for you anymore. I can't work for her. And it was me. I'm a very intense person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you joke when I told you that. And you're like, you're so nice. I'm like, I am nice. I'm, I'm also very intense. Uh, I'm really working on dialing that back. But <laughs> I don't think it's come through during this podcast. Well, thank you. Um, but she was, she was a phenomenal person, um, and she still is. It's not to say she's not. I was a really poor leader to her. I, I really looked at how she could serve the company and what she could do more, and I, I knew she had a ton of potential, and I, I just did not invest the time. And so if I could go back and undo and, and learn something, that was probably the one that taught me the most, mm-hmm. right, about what leadership really looks like. Another time, we had let somebody go. And I've fired people over the years. I mean, I try not to as much as possible, right? We've not done a ton of it, but sometimes you have to do what's best for the company. And one in particular that he was so blindsided. You know, it wasn't somebody that I directly managed or oversaw, but I, I was always, always in the room when that happened and, you know, did things and, and drove it. Um, and he was so blindsided by it um, and just, you know, not begging, but just really didn't understand what was happening, begged for the opportunity, had a family, you know. And it really, it hurt my soul. It hurt my soul. And, and to that point, I always said, you know, and, and Dan would give me pushback. He's like, just let that person go. I'm like, I'm, I'm never doing that again. Going forward, I'm going to make sure that everybody knows where they stand, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to work with you. I'm going to have conversations with you. I'm going to try to coach you. But you, to my point, like we talk about survivor, that blind side, mm-hmm. I never, I told him, I said, I never, I will never let somebody ever go again that I feel like they were blindsided. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like now when I sit down, I let people go and they're like, I saw this coming. I'm like, well, we gave you every opportunity, right? right. But I'm not going to blindside anybody. If I'm, if you're blindsided that you're not producing, that's my failure, not yeah. yours. It's poor leadership. Yeah, it's poor leadership. So I, I will not blindside anybody again. Like I said, I still think about that it was one of the most painful terminations I've ever mm-hmm. been through. Um and the leadership where I really lacked in, you know, she's thriving now and she's great. She would anyway, but... I really lost a core player that could have done so many great things because we butted heads and it had to be my way or the highway. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say for sure I've had countless examples mm-hmm. of they didn't see it coming. And it's like, man, like what a failure on my part. Right. Yeah. If they don't know that they're not doing a job, that's my fault, not yeah. theirs. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's right. I don't like the pips. I kind of moved away from those a little bit. I'm like, I just, I want to help people be the best they can be. Um, my husband always jokes and tells people, you know, he's always like, I want to help you move up or move out, right? Let me promote you to customer. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh. But he has a corporate background, yeah. so a yeah, little different. you back to the, to the environment. Yeah. To the wild. Uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? More what? Say that what book time? have you gifted more than any other? So many. Um, we all share, right? Mm-hmm. Tons of books. I feel like this year has been my big win is this past year is just getting to catch up on my books. Probably... Um, I know more recently, I love crucial conversations. Um, I, I referenced that one a ton with talking with people, um, work the system. Um, that was a book Jeremy actually brought to me years and years and years ago. And it was all these simple, simple principles about time management, things that we like, well, we know that we just don't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but work the system's a really big one. Um, and then, um, I'm trying to think of what's that. We all talk about it. it. Comes up all the time. What is the leadership one? 
Um, uh, there's uh, Leaders Eat Last. There's... Extreme Ownership. Oh, well, yeah. Yes. I mean, I read that years and years and years ago. Still listen to it on Audible. Um, we even had a thing where everybody worked on the team had to read the book. Mm-hmm. I know that still circles, circulates quite a bit around the area. But for me personally, I love crucial conversations. I feel like a lot of people don't know how to have those hard conversations to yeah. avoid. And that's the worst, right? You're just people suffer in silence. <laughs> it's compartmentalized. Like, it's awkward. It's it's just awful. And like crucial conversations was one of those deals that helped me understand is like you can push anything forward. It's just how you handle the situation. I mean, I will say I feared difficult conversations for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the books that I picked up. I was like, how do I have this one on one with someone? <laughs> and I picked that book up and it helped. I still struggled for some time. Took a lot of lessons along the way and failures mm-hmm. to really for that to come through. Like, okay, well, if I don't want to have these people be blindsided. Right. Yes. <laughs> they need warnings. Yes. Yeah. And that's where the extreme ownership really comes into play from a leadership standpoint of realizing you're not one. Um, I can't remember who did the, uh, um, I think it's Simon. I'm not sure, but he does the little chart where he talks about, you know, the Navy SEALs and he's like, you know, the trust, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing. You have a culture. A lot of times people don't have it or anything, but trust is a big part of that, right? You want to trust the people you work with. You want to trust they have your back, that they're going to call you on your crap, if that's the case. Um, And you just have that transparency. And he jokes about, like, how what determines to be a Navy SEAL. And I'm going to butcher this story, but it's fine anyway. Um, And he talks about, like, I trust you with my life, but I trust you with my money and my wife. Right. Like that's a different level of trust. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we need that level of trust yeah. uh, to hold each other accountable. So I love anything that has to do with leadership. And um, there's just so many great books out there, but extreme ownership, 110 uh, percent. And I love crucial conversations. Yeah. And that's the what I was saying earlier, like, you know, people is the last frontier. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like, you can do everything right. In the end, you still need the right people to do it. And they're the most unpredictable mm-hmm. piece in the system. Yeah, I had somebody ask me a long time ago, uh, or not long ago, but I was working with a team, and I think I posted on Facebook. I was like, one of the best teams to work with, and I'm supposed to have favorites. And uh, somebody <laughs> texted me, and they're like, somebody was like, what's so great about this team? Right? Mm-hmm. This is a fellow CG member we know. He's like, what's so great about this team? Mm-hmm. And I really reflected on it. I was like, it's the people. Yeah. Right? Like, they have this amazing culture. They call each other out. They really support each other. Like, they're not afraid to have healthy conflict mm-hmm. um and i said back to him i was like dude it's like it's really it's the people it's it's their culture they protect it like it is their lifeblood um they really care about each other they want to win together um i was like it really is the who not the how mm-hmm. right we've all read it we've all say but it, it really is when you get the right people in the right seats and everybody rowing in the right direction you can change the world right yeah no that's, that's huge um so what are some last thoughts I'd like to leave all the listeners with. Hmm. I don't know. We, we've covered such an array of topics today on a lot of stuff. I just feel like any last thoughts would be, um, you know, one of the biggest things I'm trying to work with a lot of clients on is, you know, creating urgency and emergency. You know, the biggest thing is we don't, again, we're not doctors. We do not save lives, right? You can be intentional about your time. I feel like the word of the year that I hear coming in 2024 is going to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Everybody, the last couple of years, they had the wind to their back. Like, every, like it's been easy. And it, all of a sudden, it's not easy anymore, right? right? Um, and everybody just kind of reacted to what the market was giving them. But now it's like, no, we got to be intentional. Intentional about who we hire. Intentional about our marketing. Intentional about our customer service. Like, 
we can't just do things to do them, right? Mm -hmm. We can't just react to the situations. Like you have to proactively be moving your company forward and not mm -hmm. just reacting. Like you can't, can't play a victim. You can't sit yeah. here and be like, but I don't know what happened. Everybody told you, you knew what was going to, everybody <laughs> knew what happened. Like good operators yeah. are going to survive this and the poor ones that have just been, you know, winging it, mm -hmm. they're not going to make it. Yeah. Right. I so, saw something in a Facebook group this morning. Got a message or he posted like, yeah, you know, wholesaling company I just wor I work for just got dissolved. What should I do? Mm -hmm. So I sent a message. <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking for a job? Yeah. Um, so you say intention, you know, something that uh, we, we just had our annual meeting a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago and we replaced a core value. Okay. And the core value we replaced was urgency. Okay. Um, and I think for me, the reason why is that if that's the core value, then I'm probably the first person that should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if that's the, the, the core value. So we replaced it, right? What should we replace it with? We talked about high functioning. Okay. Right. And we're like, ah, that's really more of an attribute than a core value. And so the core value we replaced it with is ownership. Okay. That's a good one. Right. So if you're, this is your, this is your seat or this is your department or whatever, and you own it. And if you're not going to own it, let me know. Mm -hmm. Cause I will put someone in there that will own it, not run it. Mm-hmm own it ownership yeah full ownership full ownership so that's the new core value and it doesn't matter what seat you are mm -hmm. in the company right but once you're in that seat you own it and if you require if you require not um like you need support you need help you need resources like let us know be vocal well, you should right, right? nobody none of us are independent you know performers yeah. yeah if you need that let us know but you own this and if you're not getting things done and you're not vocal about need that's, that's on, on you. you, right? Yeah. So that's our new core value for that we we replaced right. in twenty twenty four. I love everybody should operate, and I feel like we don't. It really doesn't have to be said a lot. The sense of urgency, right? Mm -hmm. Like we pretty much everybody knows it's speed to lead. It's getting in there. It's how quickly can we get in front of them? How quickly can we make the offer? I feel like that's really driven home, right? I'm sure some people still need to hear it, but the other aspect of that is. You know, not letting other people's urgencies become your emergencies, not reacting yeah. to every situation. If you send me a text and I respond five hours later after I finish what I'm doing versus right now, what's changed? Right. Right. What's what's the outcome different? If you were relying on me for your lifeblood to do something, to send, you probably should have called me anyway mm -hmm. and not sent a text. So we talk about how to handle communication and, and some of the best cadences for communication, but just intentional. Like you have to want it. You have to go get it. We have to be willing to learn from our lessons. Um, and time is your greatest asset. You cannot get it back. Yeah. There, there is no more time. You lose money, you can make more. You break something, you can fix it. You spend those eight hours doing something you want to do, you can't get it back. Right. You've given it away forever. And I actually had a, a conversation with Jason Lewis about this because mm -hmm. he has uh, Creation Utah his wholesale flipping company and he has investor machine. Mm -hmm. And so when we were talking about urgency, it's like, yeah, urgency is a core value in the wholesaling company, but it's not a core value <laughs> in the direct mail company. Right. Right. So he's like, and I'm, I'm trying to incorporate the same core values across all companies. Mm. So like, if I have core, like urgency, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Speedily. That's a KPI. That's a metric. We track all that. Right. Right. But urgency is not a core value in the media production. Right. It's more like, this is what you need to get done. I expect to get done this time. And if there's not going to get done by this date, let us know in advance, mm -hmm. not the day of. Right. Yeah. Working with clients I always come in and we've done the quarterlies before and it's, you know, always on track, on track, off track on, the, on their commitments and their 90 day 
um, fast goals until it's like two weeks before it's off track. And I'm like, okay, so how was you on track for the last eight weeks? And all of a sudden you're off track. And so I really try to move away from that, that, uh, that format anyway, and really help people build a plan for what success looks like. So that to your point, we can hold people accountable. Like, what's the ownership? What are you doing? Mm. What did you do this week to move this forward? Yeah. Right. Everybody just is like, I'm on track. What they're waiting to do is at the 11th hour, mm-hmm. pull a Houdini out of the hat or a rabbit out of the hat and just get it done. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately ended up failing because they didn't plan. Right. And I know it's, it's, uh, everybody says a lot of times, but if you don't, if you don't plan to win, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. So what, yeah. what, how are you going to get there? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love that you updated your core values. Um, we did the same a few years ago. It was just something that had kind of changed, but pay attention to your team. Like your core values can change. We're different phases of your business. Like to yeah. your point, what you're doing today is not what you were doing 10 years ago. Probably mm-hmm. not what you're going to be doing in 10 years. I hope not. Right. Um, so what we're looking for in our team and, mm-hmm. and what gets us here. And you know, everybody asked me, like, when I stepped down, what did that look like? I'm like, you know, I wasn't the one that's going to push them to where they want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a different season where they're at um, and they're going to crush it. Um, but I was at a different place where, you know, it, it, it means something different to me and, and what my why looks like and energy, right? Time, mm-hmm. money and resources is what we all have. Yeah. Um, and what am I willing to put my energies in today is a lot different than it was 10 and 20 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. If someone wants to reach out to you, how, how can they best get a hold of you? Um, so through Sharper, um, you know, we're all on social. Uh, I'm sure you'll post that up there, but sharperbusiness.com. Um, and then uh, Sharper Process uh, on Facebook, Sharper Process on Instagram, just reach out. We have a wide variety of services. Um, you know, we do everything from full circle where you can, you know, we'll really help you with your processes and your procedures. And we don't just say you should do that. Mm-hmm. We help you do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where a lot of clients don't realize um, that they can, like, we're going to help you get that across the mm-hmm. goal line. They they know they need to do it, but they don't necessarily know how they do it. It's like a root canal. So mm-hmm. we have an entire team uh, for processes and procedures. Um, we have sharper talent, you know, hiring. Um, these guys have hired thousands of people in this industry. They know how to identify the right seats. They know how to find people. So we just have a a variety of services, um, coaching, counseling, um, or just whatever you need for your business. We, it's not like you're, you have to fit our box. We have enough uh, tools in the, in the tool belt that we can meet your needs. Yeah. And I can attest to it, right? I mean, I've known Gary for a long, long time. He's ran multiple annual meetings for me Mm -hmm. and we've got to work with you for the last, I want to say six to nine months. Mm -hmm incredibly valuable and it's helped my team a lot. So I appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. And the rise framework, you know, everybody's uh, used to the EOS, but you know, rise has just come out and Gary's done a really good job with it. It's a lot of tactical tools, right? And that's where ES is what you should do, but it doesn't really, you know, you kind of wane past that. Like, okay, well, we got there. We're, what's next. And so rise really does help us push past that a little mm-hmm. bit. And it provides more tactical long-term planning, like concession planning, um, move, moving through the different phases. So there's a lot of value in that. For me, the, the biggest difference I saw from that one versus some, some of the other curriculums is the people component. Mm-hmm. Like how to measure, how to ensure you're getting the right people. Because that's the part <laughs> that everyone screws up, right? Like finances, that's a difficult concept, but that's not necessarily a, a, a an EO or an entrepreneurial organization type of book. That's really more like, just get the right person. <laughs> right? If it was so easy, right? right? But the other stuff, the the people, the culture, the the growth mindset, mm-hmm. the willingness to do it, the capacity to grow with the company versus like this is the person you can hire for this season of your career mm-hmm. or your, your business. 
but they might not stick around in the next season. That's the wrong hire. But you don't know that unless you've got the right curriculum to measure the capacity as well. Yeah. I see a lot of uh, communications. Everybody's asking, what's the PI for this position? What's the PI for this position? And I'm like, stop. I'm like, not all these positions are created equal. What you consider, what your sales manager may be different when another sales mm. manager or acquisitions rep or lead manager. I'm like, you know, get in there, build the role for the person, hire the right person. Don't just try to copy what somebody else does. Right. You know, I see teams where this person does nothing but give an offer. They have VAs that are answering the phone. This person over somebody stateside and, you know, they're doing everything but running the appointment. Like those are not the same profiles. Right. right? Um, so we really want to focus on hiring the right people at the right time. And how do we help those people grow? Mm -hmm. Like I never want to hire somebody where I only see them in this position. Like I want to see their growth trajectory before I ever hire them. And how can I help them get there? Because right. when you get to your point, just like what you do with sales disruptors, when you invest in others, you're the one that benefits in the long run. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. I'll see you guys next time. Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.